Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Did you watch the Gavin Newsom, Ron DeSantis debate last night? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. It was um, a somewhat spirited affair. It was uh, was really hard to watch uh, because, largely because of that human oil slick that is Gavin Newsom. I mean, he just would stare at statistics that were put on the screen, like, for example, on in-migration and out-migration in California versus Florida, and then just lie about them. I mean, he just he just says things that are not true with such glee that it's just difficult to have a substantive conversation. So, for example, let me give you an example of what I mean. Here's what he had to say. I mean, again, over the last decade, California has lost 1.8 million people net and Florida has gained two million, and yet this is what you get from a pat uh, a, a Governor Bateman here, Patrick Bateman. And I think- address the issue. Can you explain this migration out of California and going to red states? You mean, state, you mean blue state? Well, hold on. You you mean the, the the last two years more Floridians going to California than Californians going to Florida? No, I, I put <laughs> up on I put up on the By the way, that's going to be fun to fact check. So we'll just start right there. California has no peers. Let's uh, let's fact check it. So in 2021, California to Florida, 37,000 and change. Florida to California, 24,000 and change. In 2022, California to Florida, 50,000 and change. Florida to California, 28,000 and change. And that's just a a subset of the larger dynamic that cost California a congressional seat for the first time in its history uh, in the redistricting just as Illinois suffered one and yet like Pritzker Gavin Newsom will tell you that uh, California is growing but why I mean they're both lying and anybody with half of a brain cell would know that but they look at his charm and oh oh he's tall and he's good looking he has white teeth oh and and people just believe what he says people believe what Governor Pritzker says because they're drinking the Kool-Aid I mean we lost a congressional seat for the love of God and he still won't admit that we lost residents in Illinois so you were right yesterday when you said we can do this tonight with Gavin Newsom. Tomorrow night we could do it with Governor Pritzker. It's going to be the same thing, just yeah. spewing lies. Um, but DeSantis was was pretty pretty good in responding to the unrelenting nonsense he was getting uh, from Gavin Newsom, including on topics that I mean, it's just like you're just saying census data isn't census data. Okay, well, do you have a, a other data that challenges it? No, but I'm just going to dismiss the actual data that we're all operating off of uh, as uh, as irrelevant because I've got this story I want to tell you about this 
woozy dreamland in which I and the rest of California, or at least the majority of the voters in California, live. Anyway, DeSantis was uh, was good on response, generally speaking, including on the issue about migration. So I was talking to a fella who had made the move from California uh, to Florida, and he was telling me that Florida is much better governed, uh, safer, better budget, uh, lower taxes, all this stuff. And he's really happy with the quality of life. And then he paused and he said, you oh, know, by the way, I'm Gavin Newsom's father-in-law. So we do count Gavin's in-laws as some of the people that have fled California um, and come to the state of Florida. And, and why, are we, why are we getting people to come? We have a 50-year low in the crime rate. You don't see in the last 10 years, we've had a 45% decline in homelessness. California's had a 45% increase in homelessness. We back the blue. I was walking the streets of San Francisco a couple months ago, and I had some of the cops in San Francisco do a beeline to come over to me, and I didn't know what they were going to say. And they're like, we want to thank you for standing for law enforcement, because we don't get that support in the All state right. of California. So people understand me... quality of life matters. They understand that Florida's doing it right. And I can tell you the numbers speak for themselves. We have way more Let people move moving on. to this state than leaving. Gavin can't say the opposite. More people are leaving California than are moving into more California. Let me, let me, coming. So you used your uh, father-in-law line, Amy, that you mentioned Thank yesterday. You. And, um, and, you know, it's just, I mean, it's just the facts are the facts. And if people want to disbelieve reality, then they're entitled to do that, I suppose. Three, that one, was sort two, of, oh, go on. That was sort of the, the thing the entire night. Basically what Newsom's ploy was, in addition to flashing his pearly whites and trying to be glib, his whole thing was, Accusing Florida of what California actually is. Out migration, business location, uh, uh, wealth relocation, uh, public safety. I mean, California has 2x, two times the number of violent crimes per capita than Florida. And Gavin Newsom was trying to convince you because of the Parkland High School shooting that somehow... Uh, Ron DeSantis has made Florida Florida a lawless place. I mean, that that was sort of the tenor of the entire night. Right, but he needed to turn Newsom's charm into sleaze, and did he do that? Because I, oh, I, mean, I don't, I don't know. Newsom's sleaze just uh, emanates off of him. You don't need anybody to turn that into sleaze. I mean, it's just again, it's just what you want to see. Uh, well, I got to tell you though, he was so condescending. I mean, do, did you see the part where he actually threw to break? He kept calling calling him Ron. Ron. Hey, Sean and Ron. All right, well, we'll discuss this when we get back. He was t- he took total total control of it. It was crazy. I've never seen that before. You don't let your guest throw to breaks for commercials. Bill and Glen Ellen. Yeah, I just want to say that Ron DeSantis. You can see it last night in the debate. He is everything that the Trump supporters want Trump to be, but Trump can't be because of all of his flaws. I mean, Ron and his wife would be the, the, the president and first lady this country needs and we deserve. And we really need to make sure that we get there. You know, we have to stand is the man we need. And, you know, it's just obvious. And I just hope Trump supporters can see that before it's too late. And it may be too late already. Okay. Thanks for the call, Bill. I, there's the thing about DeSantis, though, just in terms of watching the, the mannerisms. Um, I don't know exactly what it is. He's, he, he, he feels a little uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and I don't know if it's because he's trying to control getting angry with having to deal with 
you know, all of the lies and name calling that he was subjected to last night. But um, there's just a, a lack of ease with him that um, I don't know. I don't know what that is. I, I, I'd be interesting to have a conversation with him about that because, uh, I mean, he's, he's a confident guy. He speaks very matter of fact. I mean, it's not flashy, but it's substantive and it's on point and it's evidence based, which is why I've been a big fan since he was elected in Florida. And, and and I go back to Congress, actually, but certainly since he was elevated into national attention as governor. But there's just something, at least in this environment, where he feels a bit uneasy to me. I, I don't know why that is. I completely agree. He had, like, weird face smiles and some twitches, and he just doesn't feel comfortable in his own skin up there watching him. Like, I, I kind of want it when they extended it. I thought, oh, can you just get him off stage? You know, just give him a break. But he did hit back on something that I really hold to my heart, which is this COVID-19 and the lockdowns on our children and how, you know, rules for thee, but not for me. But listen to, to Newsom spew some more lies. You had quarantines, you had checkpoints all over the state of, Cal- uh, of Florida. By the way, I didn't say that. Donald Trump laid you out on this, dead to right. You that's did that. True. You followed science. You followed Fauci. That's Ron not, that's not he followed science. He true. followed. You had more kids locked out of school for a longer period of time in California than anywhere else in the country. It was the working class kids. It was the middle income kids. His kids were in private school. They were in class. We'll in get, person. We'll get, Slow down. I want everyone to be heard. If I can ask you, I really do. Yeah, but that that's that's a good example of what I was saying before. So, I mean, again, the stones of one of the nation's most enthusiastic lockdowners, that would be Gavin Newsom, referring to DeSantis as a lockdown governor. This is what he did all night. What California actually is and what I actually did, I'm going to blame you and suggest that you did it. I mean, as I I tweeted out last night watching it, it was it would be like uh, Rashida Tlaib calling Donald Trump an anti-Semite. Gavin Newsom calling Ron DeSantis a lockdown governor. But that's what you got last night, which is why it was frustrating to watch. California had checkpoints and lockdowns. Uh, oh, I mean, we don't even need to. I mean, we don't even need to discuss stupid. California. Every, yeah. Everyone knows, including uh, you know, all thirty million California residents, what California was during COVID, and everybody knows what Florida was. San but Francisco it doesn't matter. Went back after four weeks after CPS went back. It, to it doesn't. It doesn't. But that's the whole point. The point is the substance doesn't matter. And anybody watching that debate. And saying Gavin Newsom really scored some points. Oh, Gavin Newsom gave it to DeSantis, or Gavin Newsom's done a great job in California. Then you're unreachable. It is not worthy of a conversation. Just as frankly, I don't know how worthy it was to have uh, to, to for DeSantis to waste his time with Gavin Newsom, other than to get him some standalone press. Bob in Buffalo Grove. Uh, good morning, uh, Amy and Dan. Thanks for getting to me, and always great talking to you. Yes, I suffered through the debate, and um, one thing you need to discuss is all the questions that um, Newsom failed to answer. Right. Well, uh, the one that stood out to me. Everyone. Yeah, this, the one that stood out to me was the abortion issue. When um, he was asked about um, when late term. Um, late term, and Newsom refused to answer it and turned the question back on um, DeSantis with his uh six-week ban, but there were so many questions that um, Newsom failed to answer, and then fact-checking, we're up to now 15, 14 million jobs that Biden created. What a great job creator Biden is. 
Yeah. Thanks for the call, Bob. Yeah. The other thing I liked about DeSantis, though, because I, I I knew what I was going to get from Newsom. I mean, if everybody's watching for five seconds, who who characterized COVID, just sticking on COVID, as an opportunity to transform the economy. Well, that's right. And by the way, he's been pursuing that transformation mm-hmm. uh, clearly with his twenty thirty five ban uh, uh, date for gas powered vehicles. But um, one other thing that was sort of fun with DeSantis. I kind of liked it just to do something a little bit different to mix it up was he used a couple of props. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the, the, the poop my map Christmas was card this year. My yeah. the poop map. Yeah. The poop map was a fun one. This, so needs is, it. this is a map of San Francisco. <laughs> There's a lot of plots on that. You may be asking, what is that plotting? Well, this is an app where they plot the human feces that are found on the streets of San Francisco. And you see how almost the whole thing is covered because that is what has happened in one of the previous greatest cities this country's ever had. Human feces is now a a fact of life, except when a communist dictator comes to town. Then they cleaned up the streets. They lined the streets with Chinese flags. They didn't put American flags there. They cleaned everything up. So they're willing to do it for a communist dictator, but they're not willing to do it for their own. That was a good moment. That was awesome. And I, by the I way, my mind. Yes. Uh, human feces is up on the streets of San Francisco's up 50 percent under Gavin Newsom, and it's down 25 percent in Florida. No, I'm just making that up. But I mean, it's just everything was what's everything is up in California that shouldn't be and down in California that shouldn't be. And the reverse is true in Florida. And that was sort of the running debate last night, even as DeSantis tried to expand it out to, you know, be more national and focused, given his current national ambitions. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The answer. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of of the morning, Dan and Amy. Remember all those years we talked about property taxes in Chicagoland? Oh, yeah. Chicago Metro. All those stories, all those years. Jeez, I mean, I ran a... Multi-million dollar ad retail ad campaign in, a, in the 2018 election cycle on the topic to try to engender a pulse in the Republican Party and by extension, the Illinois electorate failed. And so the liquidation of people's homes continues. Of course it would. How else could it go? And um, the residents 
who are in the crosshairs are, are always surprised. So ABC7, the I-team, <laughs> is on the story Which, about t- two decades late. I know. It's just like Black Club Chicago finally realized there's only 33 kids in this high school on the west side. Oh, really? You're just waking up to that? Wow. Yeah. And and then the response is, now that you have confronted the truth, what are you going to do about it? N- cry? Yeah. Uh, Nothing? I mean, that's basically it. Somebody should do something. Well, the somebodies you elected are the ones who brought you to this point, so you think they're going to be the problem solvers? But you go ahead and stick with the liquidators. Yeah, I thought you cared about your home, too, but we tried and we tried to get a hold of you, and you were so blithely ignorant or complicit for other reasons with the liquidators that you didn't want to pay attention. And now the wolf's at your door. Yep, and property taxes are due today. Uh, rich, unincorporated rich township, the unincorporated uh, rich township uh, portion of Tinley Park that is in Cook County. Some sticker shock for residents there. The system is broken. Huge assessment hikes in Tinley Park. Well, the assessment is These residents tell the I-team their assessments doubled or tripled. Oh, okay. Lisa Markowitz no, is facing a jump of 210%. And I was hysterical. I was like, are you kidding me? Are we going to lose our house? And he said, we might. And I said, what do we do? How do we stop this? We worked hard to get here. I'm leaving. I'm gone. I'm going to Indiana. Luis Markasovich's assessment went up 41%. Chuck Burke's went up 225%. I think there was a big mistake, and they must have been blind when they tried to assess my house. Dolores Morris doesn't think she can stay in her home after her assessment went up 45%. Not in my age. The assessment is up 216% for Roy Barseth. Where am I going to move? You know, I've been in this home for 28 years, and you know, what am I, what am I going to do? 312-642-5600, turnkey.provincial line, 646-36DA, turnkey.protect lines. Usually stories from the front connote war stories. Uh, the stories for the front in Illinois are about property taxes and the liquidation of people's homes. So uh, I, please share yours or also this. I mean, I put a lot of the blame on this uh, on the Republican Party which can't bring itself around to say anything important on any of these issues. And today it doesn't even exist. I mean, the migrant thing is going on, violent crime, this property tax issue, uh, uh, the the CHICOM electric battery plant in Mantino. I mean, there's just no comment and no particular interest in any issue that relates to people's quality of life. And the reason the Republican Party is a legal fiction in Illinois is because it fail to stand up for people like those middle-income families in unincorporated rich township. It failed to continue to be a party of the suburbs. It ceded the suburbs to cultural Marxists, which was the gateway to turn over the whole state to the Democrat Party. And that continues. And so nothing will change. And the liquidators will continue liquidating until and unless that dynamic changes. And I don't see any sense that uh, there's any interest in the electorate or certainly the handful of elected Republicans in Illinois. Do you?
three no three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six type in da then a quick comma i'm just watching the story my heart breaks for all of them i mean especially there's elderly black females who are like i can't afford this i'm i don't know what to do and the one lady that said she's yeah gonna it turns out it, tur- it turns out it turns out the uh, confiscatory property taxes it turns out that the realization that you don't own your home, it's just collateral for somebody else's public sector pension, like your local teachers. It, mm-hmm. it turns out that that is colorblind. How about that? Mm-hmm. You know who gets hammered the hardest? South suburban majority black communities. The highest property tax as a percentage of home value in Cook County is Fort Heights, the poorest community, which is 99% black. And and the hue and cry coming from all those self-styled black leaders, from all the white leftists, uh, the offals in Hinsdale and River Forest that uh, whose life work is to uplift. It's not. It's to make the mascots and patronize them because they're ghastly humans and racist to boot. But this is what they say. Where Where, where is that conversation? Who Who's covering that story? No one except us. And we've an been doing it for 20 issue. and I've been doing it for 20 years and we've been doing it for 10, me and Amy together. Yeah, and that's true. And, and people are finally waking up to it. it would do, but I don't want when she said that one lady, when she said, well, I need to move to Indiana, I cringed because uh, don't bring your ideologies with you. Don't believe, you know, oh, I don't done, I don't know that she's bringing it. I, you know, I, I, I think do you think this is going to wake them up? I think I think there's a, I think there's there's people that are caught in the crosshairs. Maybe they didn't do as much as they should, um, but I don't think that there's. It didn't that doesn't strike me that a lot of those uh, families in an um, unincorporated rich in Tinley Park are, you know, part of the the political ruling class uh, machinery. They're just caught in the crosshairs. I mean, these are the uh, the fixed income and middle income families that the Republican Party is supposed to represent. Do they? I don't think they do. And I'm supposed to be a Republican. They hung them out to dry. Yeah, because they're cowards. The Republican Party has been full to its uh, neck of poltroons for the last 30 years on policy and politics and everything else. I mean, the the big Republican story that I've seen, I don't know, in the last month at least, oh, uh, the P-hat-wearing, Black Lives Matter-supporting, gun-banning uh, eunuch named Jim Durkin isn't going to run for Cook County State's attorney because it's going to be too difficult with Trump on the ballot. It's too bad because I would have loved to uh, cover Jim Durkin's ill-fated candidacy for Cook County State's attorney. And uh, especially in the news, because the other big story in the news just this week, former state representative Nick Sauer, who was uh, one of Jim Durkin's top lieutenants and another bright rising star in the Republican Party, you know, Nick Sauer from Lake County, who uh, just got a 90 day sentence for his uh, revenge porn. It took five years to adjudicate that case, which is a uh, commentary on the the j- just joke that is the criminal justice system in Illinois. Uh, this guy's a sexual predator. Treatment. I know. He got the Hunter Biden treatment five years. Five, f- he got five. Get it, I mean, oh, five years. Yeah. Right. To get it to get 90 days. Right. To yeah. get 90 days. Those are the big Republican stories. Who wants to sign up for that? I know. Who's ready to get out your checkbooks? It's exciting, isn't it? Meanwhile, you have uh, elderly residents in, in Rich Township crying that the 
the local schools and the state government, because that's who's doing it, are going to take away their houses. I mean, are you kidding? Text Stories. messages. Uh, Dan and Amy, don't bring Illinois politics to our neighboring state of Indiana when you move. Stories. I mean, this is we've told these stories before, but they're it's been going on so long. I'm sure people have forgotten. February of 2017, we brought you this story. Six years ago, six and a half years ago. Cross. This is Lake County. But the border counties are the most fun, like Cook to Indiana, Lake to Wisconsin. Cross Lake is 89 acres in sight, straddles the Illinois-Wisconsin border. Its western shore spans two adjacent communities, Antioch, Illinois, and Trevor, Wisconsin, where a continuous development of modest lakefront homes makes the state line essentially indistinguishable. So there are homes on Cross Lake that both uh, are located in Illinois and Wisconsin. In Trevor, Wisconsin... A 1,368-square-foot, two-bedroom, two-bath house sold in 2015 for $255,000. Seven docks or a three-minute walk south across the state line, a 2,400-square-foot, three-bedroom, three-bath home in Antioch sold for two twenty-five. dollars So um, almost twice as big with another bedroom another and another bath. And it sold for $25,000 less than the home in Trevor, Wisconsin. By the way, Wisconsin, not a low-tax state and not a low-property tax state. But the Wisconsin home has a property tax bill at $3,200 a year. And the Antioch home, 6200 Oh, well, there you go. That's there you go. Here. You can build another bathroom or a bedroom. And, and, the, and that doesn't even contemplate the negative multiplier effect of paying that percentage of your home value year over year in property taxes. And what do you think has happened to that property tax bill in the uh, subsequent six years? And where do you think that's going with, again, the same dynamic in Lake County as in every other Collar County, as in every uh, suburban community in Cook County? A lot more tears coming from the unsuspecting or the willfully blind. Joe in Naperville. And to put the icing on the cake, Dan and Amy, these people need to realize is all that money is going to pay for illegal immigrants to be here and give them everything for free. Boy, how is that for a knife in the back? Thanks for the call, Joe. Matt, it, Mount oh. Greenwood. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Yeah, this one is close to home. Uh, my parents built a house out in Frankfurt, a uh, nice ranch home, uh, 2003. They sold it uh, seven years later due to taxes. Uh, so, that house for two people. They're both uh, at the time seventy years old. Uh, tax bill just hovering or just over eleven thousand dollars. And my dad said enough's enough. They ended up, uh, you know, it was, it was a tough sell because of the economy at the time. Uh, they ended up selling it, uh, ironically, to a just retired high school teacher the south suburbs whose first pension uh first year pension was one hundred twenty five thousand dollars i told him this guy said you are the cause of this problem you and your commie teachers union the guy just smiled at me they in turn moved into a condominium in tindley park my mom's passed about eight years ago my dad an 83 year old man with dementia now has a sixty two hundred dollar tax bill on a two-bedroom two-bath condo in tindley park so 
No, he was smart enough not to. He, he put enough down. He kept the mortgage. He had the money to do it, and he kept his cash liquid. He just said, if I lose it, I'm not going to lose much. So he was smart enough to do that. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Matt. Uh, text message, Dan and Amy, my father lives in a condo in Harwood Heights. His taxes went up $1,300, and same with his assessments. If you're on a fixed income, $1,300, that's a lot of money. Where are you going to get that from? A tweet, uh, how about a 5,500-square-foot house built in 2001? Six baths, four, par- four fireplaces, two kitchens, huge basement, three-car garage, half an acre lot. It's in Midlothian, two hundred sixty-five grand. What? The owners abandoned it six years ago. The taxes, $27,500 on a home that's market value, uh, they're hoping, is two hundred sixty-five grand. Yeah, I'll, I'll pass. Thanks. Uh, Oak Park, uh, this has uh, just happened, the sale. A home that um, if you had uh, property taxes like Indiana where they're hard capped at 1%, mm-hmm. Uh, 1% of uh, value would probably be $3 million. Sold for, this. I know this story because it's a friend. Sold for 1.3. Just trying to get out from underneath. He's no longer an Illinois resident. That's a familiar story. Just needed it. He's been trying to get rid of the property, but he but he's forever fighting his property tax bill. Um, and because, property, of course, yeah. the impact that has on sale price and marketability. So he, he was fighting and fighting, and he's like, you know, high sixty thousand dollars is the property tax bill, and then mm-hmm. you got it got down, I think, to the fifties. Uh, this year, it went up to ninety. Mm-hmm. Ninety thousand dollar property tax bill on a home that's real market value is one point three million. And now the the guy who buys it will be able to appeal the taxes and get those reduced, probably to something like thirty or thirty five, which is still a fleecing. But it's nothing like 90 on 1.3 because that because now we have a real market value because you had a transaction. But, I mean, you understand that no one escapes. You 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 think like you look at all oh, these poor people and fixed incomes and unincorporated rich or these uh, poor communities in the south suburbs. Oh, yeah, that's terrible. Go. Oh, I'm, I'm sure glad that isn't happening to us. It is happening to you. Go up and down the price point for these homes in these various communities it's happening everywhere there are a few exceptions where you have a huge commercial tax base like in oak brook but still it's still no better there than it is in indiana in fact it's a little bit worse and but and and as i said as i've said all these years about illinois if you can't get a, a party because obviously the Democrats are the tax eaters and their constituents are the ones whose public sector pensions are being underwritten by your home. That your, your home is collateral for their pension, so they're not the party that's going to do anything. The Republican Party's inability to take up this issue and amplify it and advance sort of simple reforms – like the Indiana system, or even, God forbid, the California system. Imagine that. They did it by referendum in the 80s in California. It's basically the same deal. 1% hard cap on property taxes as a percentage of home value. I mean, it's just such a catastrophic failure. It is such a indefensible 
thing that they've done or not done, and the Illinois electorate. You, know, you can't just you know sort of outsource your future to a political party. You can't say, oh well, I don't care about my my home value because the Republican Party doesn't, which is essentially the position that people have taken. If I can't get you, this was the value proposition I presented in 2018. If I can't get people to care about their home value more than I do, well, then we're cooked. And guess what? Now people are crying. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773 or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender, Signature Bank. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Before we get to Disney CEO Bob Iger and DeSantis, just a couple of more comments on property taxes we were talking about before Mike Scott's newscast. I, I got to talk about this all morning. I know, we and we've got dozens of text messages. Well, there's so many facets. So, so many facets to this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, go ahead, re- read some oh, of the text my gosh. messages. Uh, went the harbor. My taxes went up sixteen thousand. Sixteen thousand. I uh, spend a whole show on this, Dan and Amy, about the tax issue report uh, and then industrial property taxes as, as well. This is your hottest topic. Well, you know, one would think um, I would think that the biggest investment most people make in their life is something that they would be concerned about. <laughs> I mean, oh I, just sort of my logic kicking in. But I, but apparently I'm wrong. Oh, at least in Illinois. So By the way, Dan, um, oh. I, I think I mentioned the, the the story I was talking about the the, the house that was really in a in a place that was sane would be three million it was one point three. I think did I say it was Oak Park? I yeah, think you did. River Forest is where it was, oh. so right oh. next door. But I just want to get that right. Yeah, but I mean that the, that's the the point is that I have Oak Park on the mind because I've got another Oak Park story here. But, um, but 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 you think again? You think you're in some wealthy enclave? That's insulated from this or you think you have I mean, there's some people obviously that have all the money in the world and it doesn't matter like the Pritzker family. But for most people, even people doing well, living in well-heeled communities, most people have some uh, elasticity with respect to uh, the tax burden they shoulder and the decimation of a major investment they make like their home. Most people. 
But it also seems that most people don't care. They don't vote on that. Dan and Amy, I live in Norwood Park. I am 70 years old, and I'm still working because of my taxes. Escrow just just went up 500 more per month. I have to leave, or I will never be able to retire. I know it's a it's a terrible story that repeats itself over and over again. And and then my my challenges. And so. Here's one, and here's here's an and so answer. Uh, friend, text from eight one five. Bought a house in Hillside a few years ago. Again, middle income community. Uh, but friend bought a house in Hillside six years a few years ago. Taxes were around six grand. Her last assessment uh, sent her tax bill to twenty one grand. A few years ago, it goes from six to more than triples. It's a three bedroom, two bath house on a slab in Hillside, so it's probably worth a couple hundred grand, maybe. You know, a quarter million, maybe. So she went to the assessor's office to sit down and protest her taxes because surely there was a mistake. They looked at it and told her that maybe she should move if she can't afford her house. Mm-hmm. And then they dropped the $21,000 tax bill all the way down to eighteen. Oh, that's Oh, that's generous. nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now she has an attorney that she can't afford, but she has no other choice. Oh, by the way, her husband voted for Biden. Right. I'm sure he did. And I'm sure they voted for Pritzker, too. And this is why my reservoir of empathy has run dry. What can I tell you? Oh, and by the way, we're talking about this against the backdrop of two of the biggest, most corrupt Longest serving political machine bosses under federal indictment, one on trial, who fleeced, oh, the little guy, fleeced Chicagoland, uh, commercial property and residential property, if you, if it was enough money, if it was a, a valuable enough property. Burke and Madigan, who were walking conflicts of interest for 50 years, and now the feds heroically got Ed Burke shaking down a Burger King and some other marginal transgressions in the grand scheme of things. And it'll be the same with Madigan. Oh, the ComEd deal. Give me a break. What a joke. What a joke we are. What a joke the media we indulge is. What a joke these institutions are. What a joke federal prosecutors even are in this state in the northern to the the hallowed northern district of illinois big deal i'm wholly unimpressed and forget talking about the cook county state's attorney's office or the illinois attorney general's office and i don't i almost don't care who has been there over the last three decades with maybe the exception of jim ryan completely unserious people completely compromised by the political ruling class, part of it, if they weren't compromised. What a joke. And you lose your home over it. Does that connect the dots? Does that, you know, start to fire off some synapses? Uh, Light bulbs going off, an aha moment? Tell a friend. We're not even paying attention to the Burke and Madigan trials, and certainly no one other than us is connecting it to the liquidation of your homes. ABC 7's I-Team last night certainly didn't. Never even think to make that connection because they pretend they either don't know how it works because they're just simpletons or they pretend not to know because 
you know, we can only go so far in our charade as being some sort of check on the powers that be in the media and even in the court system. It's a tragic. I mean, it's a Shakespearean tragedy. Little people, middle class families like my own, frankly, like my dad in the house in Wheaton that he's lived in for uh, my entire adult life. My entire life, actually. That's the house you grew up in. Yeah. A small Does he get a senior discount or a, I mean, a, a, not a, that discount. yeah, yeah. Every guy's the senior circuit, but it doesn't matter. I know. It's still You're, too high. My neighbor un- moved out. She lived in my neighborhood for 32 years. She's like, I can't take it. The property the underlying, is too high. The underlying property value gets chopped away day after day, month after month, year after year. So you don't see a return. Even if you hold a property for 50 years, not a real return. In a, in a community that's still somewhat desirable because uh, allegedly of the schools, although this is another beautiful lie that people are still telling themselves, but that because of the safety in the schools, at least relative to the destruction everywhere else around it, I'm talking about Wheaton. But again, the people who play by the rules and get fleeced by a system they finance. And a lot of those people play by the rules, unfortunately, didn't connect the dots and have been party to the party that has liquidated their homes, the party that was always using their home as collateral for someone else's pension. I can't say it enough till it drives through the granite between some people's ears. So go tell someone. Make that an issue. Oh, you want to you get super local where people live? I ask again, what is more impactful on your long-term quality of life financially than your home value. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, you got your 401k. Um, I mean, if you're like, again, a person who plays by the rule, not somebody who's got one of these um, gold-plated pensions financed by taxpayers from a bygone era, these defined benefit plans. But yeah, you've got your pension and you've got your salary and maybe you've made some other modest investments. But, you know, people that are middle even to upper middle income, I mean, you know, they, they don't have like, I, I, I don't know what you think the quality, what some people think the, 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 the cost of living is. Uh, you know this better than I do, Amy, but it's like, I, you know, yeah, I'm investing in, I'm, I'm contributing to my 401k and maybe I've got a little trading account, but it's not like these people, yeah, and I've got a million dollar position in a private equity concern and I've got a little piece of a restaurant. I mean, they, they don't have these expansive portfolios. So if the house gets liquidated, that's a big problem for their retirement at minimum for their retirement. Big problem. Is this a newsflash to people? So it has to actually happen to you before you appreciate the threat? It's the most frustrating issue that bedevils the most frustrating electorate in the country. Henry in St. Charles. Yeah, um... I'm 70 years old in St. Charles. I can't get the senior discount because I make too much money. My taxes also went up more than $220 a month mm-hmm. on my little 800-square-foot house. 800-square-foot house, and what's your wow. property tax bill in St. Charles? 
I don't. Uh, it's, I don't know the whole tax bill offhand. It just went up more than two hundred and twenty this uh, this year. So that's a twenty five hundred dollar increase for this year on an eight hundred square foot place. Yeah, right. Thanks for the call, Henry. Dan and Amy, I live exactly one mile over the Wisconsin border. My property taxes two thousand nine hundred. Winter Harbor average is ten thousand, and Wadsworth is fifteen thousand on the Illinois side. It I mean, didn't come up, and and to be honest with you, uh, certainly in the okay, um, yeah. I mean, I I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, uh, Argentina had their Howard Beale moment, or found their Howard Beale a few weeks ago when they elected Javier Mille. I, I'd like to believe that uh, there's a Howard Beale uh, just off in the distance in Illinois, but I don't see it currently. George Naperville. Yeah, uh, Dan, where's the sanctuary in your own home? All they're doing is soaking you. Well, I exactly. I, I, I mean, I... And and re- I just, I, it's just. But they, it's so, they tax you everywhere, like to park on the street, to yeah, do I, anything. I get it, but this is this is just fundamental. I don't like all that other stuff. Well, this even is colossal the, compared e- to it, but still. even the state income tax, it's all like I. I it, it, this is sort of what they did: divide your attention to focus on things that you know. Oh, oh it, Cook County gets riled up over Queen Sugar's soda tax. But, but they don't get riled up over the fact that your home is being liquidated. Uh, it's just, I, I don't know what to say to it. And, and what? Because because blank checks for the schools and the teachers? Because, of course, that's primarily the source of what's of, of this catastrophe. And it's also the bulwark against any sort of structural reform of the property tax system. And then even when people say, well, then how are you going to put in the school? Hey, I'm fine for the state to finally live up to its constitutional responsibility to be the primary funder of K-12 through education, which means at least 50% plus one of the dollars used to fund K-12 through would come from state government. It would actually institute a discipline in state government because they'd have to rob from Peter to pay Paul in terms of some of the other gambits they get involved in. They couldn't do that anymore because they'd have to up their – uh, uh, percentage funding of K through 12 by about 12 percentage points, which is a lot of money. So I'm fine. I mean, there's there's ways to, even though it's completely overfunded and you're diminishing marginal returns on the incremental increase in K through 12 funding over the last 20 years. I mean that's a joke. But to get this done to save people's homes, sure. Make the state pay 51% of the freight for funding K-12 education. Hold harmless the funding of K-12 education in the state. And then you drastically reduce the uh, the reliance on property taxes for the local school districts. And people say, oh, well, what about local control? Local control is a myth. What kind of local control do you think you really have over the school districts? These Most of these school boards are holding up subsidiaries of the statewide teachers union. And they're running the statewide program direct from, you know, whatever educrat uh, is in charge of the State Board of Education and is telling them to do this media literacy class and do this gay history class and teach this pornography in kindergarten and so on and so forth. 
which is happening everywhere. It's the illusion of local control. And even to the extent that it is in play in some districts, well, then you still have the ability to fight it out. You didn't lose your local school board. You're not going to not, you're, it's not going to be zero funding from local property tax of K through 12 education. So you're still going to be a stakeholder. You're still going to have a say. You're still going to have elected officials. I mean, there's no defense to the persistence of this completely kleptocratic property tax classification system in Cook County and the Collars, really in Illinois, because 101 counties have one system and Cook County has the other. So the whole thing. But it's most uh, poignantly visited upon Chicago Metro, where 60 percent of the population lives. There's no defense for having it. And everybody who has been silent or even worse, profiting Burke Madigan off of it is guilty, is guilty of thievery on a mass scale, mass scale, destroying people's lives and their financial futures. That's what they've done. And 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 you want to talk about what? Uh, a, a sport rifle ban? Uh, abortion? Are you serious? No, the answer is this electorate is not serious. And so they elect completely unserious people. But there are serious consequences to that, aren't there? Jerry Harwood Heights. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Thank you for taking my call. Just another comment about the uh, property tax stuff. Amy read my text about my father's property taxes going up to $4,000. In the last couple of years, he always received the exemptions, the senior citizen exemption. He received three exemptions, which knocked his bill down. Well, this year, he didn't get the exemptions. So we went to the assessor of Leiden Township, and he told me that I had to fill out a certificate of error application to apply for the exemptions because during COVID, the county never mailed out the applications So they were kind of like grandfathered in. But now that COVID's over, the county was supposed to have mailed out the applications. We never received it. So what we have to do now is pay the $4,000 and hope that the application gets accepted and hope for a refund. Yeah, I mean, thanks for the call, Jerry. Well, so the, the, the whole point, though, this Rube Goldberg system is purposeful. This is uh, what uh, feeds all of these property tax appeals lawyers. It, it, you don't need senior circuit breaker and these exemptions and this that. If you just have a hard cap at one percent, and it shall not go up by more than that until there is a a uh, an event, uh, either via a sale or via a, a home improvement, till there's a capital event. Simple. They don't want it to be simple. Simple doesn't feed anyone except you, the property owner. Doug in Oswego. Hey, you there? Yeah, go ahead, Doug. St. Charles guy said it. He didn't know what his tax bill was. He just knew it went up. People escrow their taxes through their bank. They look at the tax bill. It doesn't really hurt them. They had to save that money and write the check themselves. Then they'd do something about it, like I do. Well, it's a great point. Thanks for the call, Doug. I've addressed it before, but I'll address it again because it is it's like it's like uh, income tax. It's like withholding for income taxes. If people had to write the check, 
uh, maybe you'd see, yeah, a little bit more angst and uh, and vitriol directed at, through the proper channels. So one of the things that you could do, one of the things I've suggested is don't allow in Illinois for people to pay their property taxes via escrow. Oh. Make them write the check. Well, that would wake them up. I mean, it's one it's one way to do it, but I mean, but even still, you still you still feel it because. Um, well, well, I'm I mean, paying more in property taxes than I am in principal. Well, there you like go. So many of us. <laughs> right. So that's one it's example ridiculous. of it. Even if you own your home free and clear, now you're seeing what you're getting charged on a uh, uh, a monthly, monthly basis. basis. So yeah. so so those people know what they're paying, and you know, I don't know. You look at your mortgage statement, and you know, you just. You look at, uh, you know, the outstanding balance and when you notice that you're uh, paying more or even the same and you're not increasing your equity, I mean, maybe that gives some people uh, a pause for reflection. I, I don't know. But you're right. There's no question. I mean, this is what Milton Friedman said about the withholding system since he helped design it for the uh, IRS, which is the worst thing I did because it disconnected people from the impact of the cost the government was imposing. Make people write the check. 100% on board with that. But even still, that's no excuse for not knowing better. That's not no. I mean, you, we have too many stories. You're hearing them all today. We've documented literally thousands of them over the last decade. So people know, a lot of people know, and a lot of people don't do anything about it. Look at the story from Hillside. Oh, you know, I know, and it's terrible, and we're uh, between a rock and a hard place now, and I'm going to continue voting for those Democrats. Okay. Vince St. Charles. Good morning, guys. I live in St. Charles, and I escrow, and I pay $6,000 on a $1,600 home. And I got received the rebate, and it went up $250 after the rebate was 250 So I exactly know exactly what I pay. <laughs> it's just like a touch over $6,000. So I escrow, and I know what I pay. So I'm just maybe I'm odd. I, I don't know. I'm sorry well, about that. No, that's that's good. I mean, thanks for the call. It's a it's an issue, but I, that's why you're my point. Not, but some people are paying close attention because they know how big the numbers are and how impactful they are. Rob, Northwest Indiana. Hey, Dan, Amy, the the greatest talk show, morning show in the Midwest. I listen to you every day. Uh, I I don't understand. How anybody in Illinois, I don't live in Lake County, I'm from Northwest Indiana, but I'm in a rural county. I pay two installments. It's $600 a year on two houses. That's my property tax bill. I just don't understand how people in Illinois can make that payment and continue to make that payment and stay in Illinois. Thanks for the call, Rob. I mean, I, I hear you. Look, I mean, I just personal experience. I, I mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again. So um, my, I had this well-appointed condo at Lake Point Tower, one bedroom. Right. Uh, How much? My property tax bill uh, on the condo at Lake Point Tower in Chicago was the same as my home in Naples, Florida, that is five times the value of my condo at Lake Point Tower. And, 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 and here again, just like we used to say with respect to Indiana, and the funny thing about it is in Florida, just like Indiana, you know, they have police and fire departments. They have schools. Yeah, they got They're all better this. better than ours. <laughs> yeah, right. 
They got they got roads uh, and uh, they say they got all these fixins that people say, well, then what are you how are you going to fund this and how are you going to fund that if you don't have these confiscatory property taxes and income taxes and every other and the highest tax burden uh, per capita uh, in the country? Well, I don't know. How do other states do it? I ran into John Cass on Sunday. I was in Highland doing yoga and I stopped by. A store, and he and his wife Betty were walking in, and we talked, and I, and I explained that I've been going here since June of 2020, and he moved here, and he said, "My, I used to pay eighteen thousand, I pay thirty two hundred a year, and is is a nicer home." So you he's know, smart. again, he moved. The numbers are the numbers are the numbers. The reality, the and the comparative shopping is what it is. The stories are legion, so Illinois residents have to decide what they want to do about it. Or continue doing more or less nothing. I don't know what to tell you other than that. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Only the biggest stories. Only the biggest guests. And only the biggest opinions. This is AM560. The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Bob Iger is the CEO of uh, Disney. Uh, he was uh, called out at this New York Times deal book confab by Elon Musk uh, right after he told Bob and his friends who were boycotting Twitter in terms of their advertising to go make love to themselves. Yeah, it's um, the F, F blank heard around the world. Uh, here's uh, what Iger had to say. To the smug twit Aaron Ross Sorkin, who's interviewing all these people, including uh, Reparation H, the vice president. We'll get to her later. Here's what Bob Iger had to say, explaining why Disney stopped advertising on Musk's platform. I mentioned X, and we're going to see Elon Musk in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you stopped advertising on X. We did. Tell us about that decision. Um... I, you know, I have a lot of respect for Elon and what he's accomplished, not just, you know, one business, but a few businesses. And we know Elon is larger than life in, in many respects and that his name is very much tied to the companies he either has founded or he owns, whether it's Tesla, of, you know, or, or SpaceX, mm-hmm. SpaceX, 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 or now X. Mm-hmm. And by him taking the position that he took, in quite a public manner, um, we just felt that the association with that position and and Elon Musk and X was not necessarily a positive one for us, and we decided we would pull our advertising. And you- we are allowing we are we we are now allowing entities at the company to use X as a platform to communicate. ABC News is a good example of that. ESPN, another. We use it. But for- you anticipate this is uh, forever? I haven't. Uh, I haven't readdressed it since the decision was made. Do you find it a good advertising platform? Um, we reach people on a lot of social media platforms. It's become fairly, in general, social media has become an effective way for us to communicate, whether it's marketing message or otherwise. Uh, specifically, I don't want to be specific about X itself. So that's what uh, prefaced Elon Musk's interview in which he told uh, Bob Iger and others who uh, he accused of essentially trying to uh, extort him with advertising to go make love to themselves. What's the impact of that 
on corporate America that's um, still, or maybe not still, maybe starting to is a better way to describe, starting to wrestle with the wokeness and their capture by Marxists, Gen Z, Gen X, millennial, I don't know, all of the above Marxists? I don't know. Are they starting to wrestle with that? In the wake of the Supreme Court decision and the Harvard admissions case and uh, discussions that uh, ESG uh, reporting, actually, that ESG investing is down. We've talked to Steve Moore about that. That uh, die officers are starting to get uh, laid off. Where is this going in corporate America? For more on this and other matters, Scott the Cow Guy Shelley, market specialist for Market Day Report, 1030 to 1, Chicago time, and host of the Cow Guy Close, 1 to 1.30, both at RFD TV. Scott the Cow Guy, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning. What impact do you think uh, Musk's uh, rather surprising and unvarnished response to those boycotting Twitter in terms of advertising, what impact will that have in corporate America? Well, I think to your point, it's definitely moving uh, in favor of uh, anti-wokeness. I mean, I had a guest on my show yesterday. Um, you're probably familiar with Dr. Ben Carson, uh, Larry Elder, um, a guy by the name of John Rich from Big and Rich, who's a country music star. Uh, they started a, a bank here in Nashville, but it's actually na- national, called Old Glory, to kind of get around all the wokeness. Right, because I've been speaking to groups over the last two years that have seen fossil fuel companies get debanked because they've had 30 relationships uh, that have gone under because some of these banks have become woke and won't take their business anymore. Um, you saw what happened to Nigel Farage over in England. Gun um, sellers, sure. Finally, I yeah, I, I find, yeah, he was with Coots too. I mean, that's the Queen's Bank. I I find I feel as though that people are waking up to this garbage, and what happens is is that. You try to, um, a lot of people try to massage it and, and maybe even acquiesce a little bit and, and try to play by their rules a little bit. But once that happens and they're in, that Trojan horse is never coming back. They got you. So unless you stop it from the beginning, it's a disease that's pretty hard to shake. So I think more and more corporations and maybe even hopefully CEOs are waking up to the fact that this is a load of garbage. And it's not, you know, it's not a, a, a mainstream view. There are some special interest groups that will then try to start problems and go call uh, other firms like Disney and say, hey, are you sure you want to advertise on these platforms? Um, but I think that those those places are going to slowly but surely start falling on more dead ears, especially in the wake of what we've seen happen with the government and how they got in bed with big tech and all the things like that that are coming to the fore. I think the American public, the, the silent majority, is absolutely sick of it. Yeah, I think Bob Iger's comment, though, yesterday made me not want to go to Disney even more than I already don't want to go. Well, I mean, I, look, they're, they're, they're struggling. I mean, they're, they're, I mean they're not doing well. They're, they're, ESPN's not doing well. I mean, this is, this is something, this is a cancer that's got into these big corporations, and it's turned them around, and it's not good. And so, you know, if you can... If, you, if you've got common business sense and you do the right thing, it's sometimes hard to say what you want to say. But I think that the American people are waking up to the fact that uh, they'd much rather do business with somebody they know where they stand rather than do business with somebody that says something in order to stay out of trouble. Yeah, the, the, exactly what Musk mentioned uh, in another 
uh, uh, response that ended with a F you, uh, which was that, you know, he's uh, sick of people that uh, are pretending to do good while they're doing evil. You know, these sort of phony do-gooders, and he's essentially calling them out. There's a lot of weasels in C-suites in corporate America. Absolutely, and, and um, I, I think that uh, what proves his point is that a lot of the folks that were um, offended by what he had to say were not offended by what he had to say. They were offended that, that he had to swear while he said it. I mean, that's how they attacked him, not about his actual content. Right. So that's what I thought was fun. Yeah. I mean, it's a joke. I mean, okay, so the guy swore. Who cares? You haven't heard that before? I mean, all this stuff about, you know. Oh, uh, sure. Virgin ears whatever. in corporate America, I, yeah. Oh, right, yeah. I mean, it's it's still all garbage. It makes me, you know, and I see it now that I'm in the media full time. I, I mean, it takes patience, but I mean, it's it's unbelievable that uh, that the world, you know, goes around like this sometimes. It really is, and I, I've woken up to the fact that um, it's hard. It's not easy when you've got 95 percent of the people out there that are gunning for you because they don't like what you, what you they want you to. Uh, you know, acquiesce, and they want you to heal, and they want you to do as they say. It's it sometimes is a lonely road. All right. Well, and this is the part of the interview where uh, we give you an opportunity to apologize to us and our listeners. Uh -oh. um, you talked <laughs> your, your your doom and gloom predictions about the market. You know, kept uh, my money on this largely on the sidelines, uh, like yours. And uh, and look at the run up. Um, everything's coming up roses. Inflation is down. Dow rallies another 500 points yesterday. And, you know, I could be uh, I could be buying a, an electric vehicle or something with the money that uh, I would have made if I didn't listen to you. I want to hear you tell me how inflation is down. I mean, I, I, they said it. They, them. Oh, them. The, the, the experts. Them, Dan, as you always yeah. say. <laughs> the experts. Yeah, you, yeah you're right. It's like, you know what, when people that put they, them, or he, she on their CV, their resume, that just means I'm going to be a problem at HR. You know, it's like, okay, <laughs> thank you for letting me know ahead of time. Um, I, I, here's the deal. 3.2% the inflation. It's still going up, but at a slower pace. The media are trying to tell you that, hey, if Shelley is gaining weight at a slower pace <laughs> this year than he did last year, is he getting thinner? <laughs> yes. Yes. That's what they're telling you. Yeah, let me give you the skinny on this, no pun intended. Here here's the here's the problem. The consumer is seventy percent of the the economy. We've got places that sell food like Kroger, Walmart, uh, Costco saying that the consumer is starting to run on fumes. And here's the here's the, the headlines are hey, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. We had sales, you know, 8% higher, 7% higher. Some of them were 9% higher. Salesforce.com said that. Adobe said that. A few other outlets said that. But they're only counting e-commerce. E-commerce is only 24% of retail sales. When you take in bricks and mortar with e-commerce over those two days, Black Friday and Cyber Monday, sales were up 2 to 2.5% 2 from this time last year. And by the way, inflation's up 3.2%. So net-net, it's a negative, okay? And then I'll throw in the kicker. People that are putting money, put, buying things on buy now, uh, pay later, those went, uh, that's up 47% year over year. So the, the consumer is so tapped, they've got to go to these buy now, pay later sites, and we still have less sales than we did this time last year when they've taken the inflation and bricks and mortar. I'm telling you, 
go ahead and put your money in the market. That's fine. I'm not going to try to tell you. Yes, we were up 8.5% for the month of November. That is like a good year. <laughs> that is a good year. We're not back up to the highs, but boy, oh, boy, that was a good month. And it's on the back of the fact that everybody thinks that it's just going to be fine. We're going to start cutting rates. Well, let me ask you why we're going to cut rates. You must think the economy's bad if you think we're going to be cutting rates, or they wouldn't cut rates. They don't cut rates when things are great. These people are talking out of both sides of their mouth. But let them go. Let it do it. And everybody's rushed to the stock market. That's fine. But I've got, you know, I've been doing it for 36 years, and I got to where I am by not following the crowd. And the crowd is going bananas, bang for rate cuts. And we'll see. We'll see. But I'm telling you right now, the thing that drives this economy is Mr. and Mrs. Consumer, and they got no more dough. That's it. All right, Scott the Cow Guy, Shalady, so that's a good uh, counterpoint. You've definitely managed to avoid uh, the necessity of an apology. Scott the Cow Guy, market specialist for Market Day, 10.30 to 1 p.m., and host of the Cow Guy Close, 1 to 1.30, both at RFD TV. Scott the Cow Guy, thank you as always. All right, guys, have a good weekend. You too, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. We brought you this story the other day. We talked about it with Mark Hemingway from RealClearInvestigations.com yesterday. And we're going to continue talking about it. It is, um, you want to talk about existential threat, that phrase that's thrown around a lot. It's sort of been rendered meaningless, but this is one. Talking about, of course, the work of Michael Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi, primarily, first with the Twitter files, and now with the information they've got from a whistleblower about the Cyber Threat Intelligence League, which sounds like something out of a Marvel's comic book, but it's real. Uh, And this is, again, the censorship industrial complex. Federal government, deep state actors, working indirectly and directly in some cases, as they did uh, as and as was exposed in the Twitter files, as they did with social media companies in advance of 2020, to make sure 2016 never happens again, meaning someone that is unacceptable to the political ruling class, following Brexit first and then Trump's election. And Schellenberger and Taibbi, modern-day Woodward and Bernstein, Uh, testified again before the Weaponization of Government Committee, chaired by Congressman Jim Jordan yesterday. And here's what Schellenberger had to say in repeating some of what we told you a couple of days ago, but this was when he first disclosed what he and Taibbi had been given by this whistleblower. So now he's summarizing it for members of Congress. So nobody can be pretend that they didn't know And now we're going to see how deeply House Republicans, because who else, is willing to investigate and how courageous they are in in terms of bringing people forward and relentless they are in furtherance of complete exposure of what has been going on in the dark corners of the federal government. 
Nine months ago, I testified and provided evidence to the subcommittee about the existence of a censorship industrial complex, a network of government agencies, including the Department of Homeland Security, government contractors, and big tech media platforms that conspired to censor ordinary Americans and elected officials alike for holding disfavored views. I regret to inform the subcommittee today that the scope, power, and lawbreaking of the censorship industrial complex are even worse than we had realized back in March. Two days ago, my colleagues and I published the first batch of internal files from the Cyber Threat Intelligence League, which show U.S. and U.K. military contractors working in 2019 and 2020 to both censor and turn sophisticated psychological operations and disinformation tactics developed abroad against the American people. What's more, the whistleblower who delivered the CTIL files to us says that its leader, a quote-unquote former British intelligence analyst, was quote-unquote in the room at the Obama White House in 2017 when she received the instructions to create a counter-disinformation project to quote, stop a repeat of 2016. In 2020, the Department of Homeland Security, CISA, violated the First Amendment and interfered in the election, while in 2021, CISA and the White House violated the First Amendment and undermined America's response to the COVID pandemic by demanding that Facebook and Twitter censor content that Facebook said, that Facebook itself said was quote unquote often true, including about vaccine side effects. All of this is profoundly un-American. Profoundly un-American. And the election rigging is profoundly more serious in terms of trying to control information flow than any discussion about Zucker boxes or Zucker bucks or Dominion voting machines. I'll tell you that right now. Schellenberger also posed this question to Democrats who, you know, run around saying that Trump is uh, a threat to our democracy and and, uh, uh, you know, and, and and ushers in the prospect of authoritarianism and so forth. If you know, the Democrats are very, very concerned about President Trump, I would ask them if they're so concerned about t President Trump, would you want him to control the censorship apparatus? Would you want that given all the things that you've said? Would you like him to be able to call Twitter and Facebook and all these other platforms and demand that they censor content. Doesn't seem consistent to me. And both Schellenberger and Taibbi are men of the left, as we've mentioned before, Schellenberger an environmental activists as well. Uh, of course, the answer to Schellenberger's question, the real answer is, well, Mike, we don't need to worry about that because the deep state won't work for Trump. They'll work for us, just like they did when he was president. That's what they think, I think. For more on all this, we're pleased to be joined by Brendan O'Neill, chief political writer at Spiked, Spiked Online. Brendan O'Neill, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Hey, how's it going? Well, we're going to have some difficulty getting the uh, D.C. press corps to pick this up. Uh, so Schellenberger and Taibbi and, and what uh, some outlets like ours can do. But since this uh, new Cyber Intelligence League, Cyber Threat Intelligence League, uh, includes, uh, again, apparently um, uh, former U.K., uh, military folks, maybe uh, maybe you guys at Spiked can uh, run with the ball as well. Yeah, well, we've been writing about the rise of this new censorship industrial complex for some time. I've had a couple of conversations with Mike Schellenberger about it. He's doing some amazing work at the moment trying to raise awareness about this new system of thought control 
And, uh, you know, what's happening in the U.S. is particularly shocking, I think, because my understanding is that you guys have a First Amendment which forbids the government from interfering with the free speech of the citizens. And it seems that the government is finding a way around that by connecting with social media oligarchs and other agencies to basically get them to do the dirty work of censorship on the government's behalf. It's incredibly sneaky and deeply concerning. In Europe, it's a bit more open in terms of what is happening. We have this new piece of legislation in the European Union called the Digital Services Act, where huge social media companies have massive pressure put on them to take down problematic content that could be actually illegal content like a snuff movie or something or it could be um, disinformation or content that might be harmful to young people these are very subjective categories and if these um, social media companies don't take the content down they could face fines up to the value of six percent of their annual income that is billions of dollars so of course they will err on the side of caution and start taking down everything that potentially crosses a certain line so censorship is running riot in the u.s and europe at the moment and i think we should take it very seriously well you um uh, you saw what you're describing uh in ireland in response to the violence over the weekend in response to a violent mass stabbing uh attack that occurred and uh, the response from some Irish politicians was to excoriate Twitter or X for not taking down content that they wanted taken down related to the events that transpired when other social media platforms did. So here we go again. You fold in with the state. You do what we tell you to do. Otherwise, we're coming for you. That's right. What's been happening in Ireland is very, very disturbing. And I think it's a sign of where the rest of Europe and potentially the rest of the world may soon go. So, as you say, there was this mass stabbing attack on the 23rd of November outside a school in Dublin. It was followed by a riot in the streets of Dublin, the worst riots they've had in Ireland in decades, because people are very ticked off with not being allowed to speak freely about mass immigration and some of the problems that it causes in Irish society. So they really kicked off and, and they went on O'Connell Street, a very famous street in Ireland, and burnt things down, etc. Um, so a lot of instability in Ireland at the moment. And of course, the Irish government's response is not to listen to people's concerns, not to rethink its policies, which are increasingly unpopular, but to bring in tougher and tougher forms of censorship. So a hate speech law has been going through Irish Parliament for a, a while now, and they're now going to rush that through, bring it onto the statute books. This is a deeply Orwellian piece of legislation where you could potentially be arrested for saying something that any member of the public considers to be hateful or hurtful. I mean, it's a, a, an extraordinarily wide ranging law that could see people fined and imprisoned for saying things that should well, not be illegal well, to say. Actually, to actually, stabbing, that's though. well, actually, the state senator, the, the state senator is apparently one of the sponsors uh, in her speech we played the other day. She talked about anything that causes someone discomfort. That's yeah. quite a standard. It's it's mind blowing. I mean, it's almost you feel like it's it, we're we're in a nightmare and we're going to hopefully wake up soon. It's it's crazy, and they have protected category groups in Ireland. People who are protected from discrimination. So that's people people in relation to their gender, 
their gender identity, their sexuality, their race, their religion, etc. These are protected groups in Ireland and also in the UK, which means that you are not allowed to discriminate in public um, uh, bodies against these people. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But with the hate speech law, what is now being put forward is that if you say something or promote an idea or hold a view that any member of one of those protected groups considers to be hateful or hurtful or discomforting, then you could potentially be arrested. So it is really quite staggering. And and what's happened since the 23rd of November, since the stabbing and the riot, is that we've had the justice minister in Ireland boasting about contacting the Irish police and te- and also contacting uh, social media companies and forcing them to take content down. So we've had a situation now where Irish police officers have been phoning Facebook in Ireland and Twitter and TikTok and all the rest of them and instructing them to take things down. This is the beginnings of a police state. And I think where Ireland goes, other European countries will follow. So were they upset, the lawmakers, that... The riots were being uh, broadcast on social media to create a bigger crowd, or were they mad that it was showing the world what's really going on? Their argument is that the riots wouldn't have happened unless there were people on social media stirring them up. I think that's incredibly simplistic. Um, I think these riots were an inevitable consequence of not allowing people to speak openly about mass immigration in Ireland. Just to give your listeners a sense of what's happening in Ireland, the statistics are extraordinary. One in five people in the Irish Republic was born overseas. That's 20% of the population. To give you a sense of what that means, in America, in the great melting pot era of America in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, around 15 or 16 percent of people in America were born overseas. In Ireland now, a tiny country, not a very rich country, it's 20 percent. This is very unusual for Ireland. Ireland is a country of mass emigration. That's why you have people like me in London and loads of Irish Americans as well. It's not a country of mass immigration. This is a new development. It's making people feel uncomfortable. It's, it's putting resources under strain. But anytime someone tries to speak about it in public, they are damned as a bigot. They are told to shut up. They are arrested by the police. So that riot was the fury of the cancelled. It was the fury of people who are not being listened to. And blaming it on social media, I think, is just ridiculous. Uh, Henry Kissinger, of course, the famed diplomat who just passed away at the age of 100 this week, uh, in an interview he gave shortly before his death, um, he had this to say about uh, multiculturalism. What a grave mistake to let in so many people of totally different cultural and religious and concepts because it creates a pressure group inside each country that does that. And um, so we see that happening in the U.S. as well because of the uh, lawlessness at our border. And the point here is not to be opposed to immigration. Certainly Henry Kissinger, who escaped Nazi Germany, wasn't. Um, but it, but there's, there's a way to do this is the, is the argument, not to not do it at all. There's a way to do this. And this seems to be what the ruling class in the West refuses to engage upon. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, I'm not against immigration either. My parents are immigrants. Um, I grew up in an immigrant community, which was, you know, 
Irish, Indian, um, African descended people as well in London. And it was a fine community that's going back a few years. I think what's happening now across Europe, in fact, is that we've had mass immigration from different parts of the world, a lot from the Middle East, a lot from North Africa, at the same time as there is a complete crisis of confidence in European countries, which are increasingly unwilling to integrate people into their cultural values, into their political values, into their moral values. So you have a, a real problematic mix of mass immigration and a failure to integrate people. And that has created a ticking time bomb of social problems. Uh, in Sweden now, parties from both the left and the right are openly saying that we have failed to integrate the hundreds of thousands of people we brought in from the Middle East. Uh, in Ireland, people are recognizing it too. And, you know, everyone heard about the stabbing in Dublin, Dublin a couple of weeks ago. Uh, by a man of Algerian descent. But before that, a young school teacher in Tullamore in County Offaly was murdered by a man from Slovakia. That made global waves as well. And in Sligo last year, two gay men were murdered by a man from Iraq. One of those gay men was beheaded. He was decapitated. These stories are not even being told in the media. And it's it, it's difficult, I think, for people to comprehend how unusual those kinds of events are in a small country like Ireland, which is predominantly made up of tight knit, mostly rural communities. You know, in London, in New York, in places like that, uh, random acts of violence are not unknown. In Ireland, they are incredibly unusual. So people are now asking questions and asking whether the ideology of multiculturalism is actually inflaming tensions and violence in society. Brendan O'Neill, Chief Political Reporter at Spiked, uh, Spiked Online. Brendan, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. It's touted as the debate that Americans wish they were getting, Newsom versus DeSantis last night on Fox News, even though it was presented as sort of red state, blue state, but the debate that Americans wish they were getting for president that they're not going to get they're not getting and they're not going to get is, is that your view uh, is that something you wish after watching it is that something that's so untrue for you that you didn't even bother watching it 312-642-5600 turnkey dot pro answer line 64636da turnkey dot pro text line i don't know there did you no- like it did you learn anything dan did it change your mind or anything which state does it best anything such as that yeah, right. I was Which really confused. <laughs> I was really confused about Florida versus California before last yeah. night's debate. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe some people were confused after listening to Gavin Newsom trying to uh, offload onto Florida everything that is California. But there was a moment, though, a couple of good moments, a few good moments, actually. Uh, one of them uh, was DeSantis doing his uh, carrot top routine and being a bit of a, a prop presenter. Uh, we mentioned earlier in the show the uh, human feces map of the streets of San Francisco, which was a fun little discussion. You don't often hear a discussion of human feces in a debate at that level, but okay, the uh, that's Francisco the situation. Map. 
Well, that's the situation uh, in uh, the Sunshine State and uh, in the Bay Area. But uh, the other uh, prop presented by DeSantis, which you also don't often see, is cartoons of young people performing sex acts. But that's also where we are as a culture. And this was against the backdrop of the fight over the um, legislation signed in uh, the state of Florida to prevent indoctrination via pornography of kids in K through three, the uh, legislation that's been smeared as don't say gay versus what they do in California. And DeSantis presented uh, an excerpt from Gender Queer, a book that's gotten a lot of attention, both for the graphic displays I just referenced, as well as for the language in the book that parents, when they read at a school board meeting, are chided that they cannot read that, but the kids can consume it, apparently, that that's a very curious situation in K through 12 education in so many government schools. And here's how DeSantis presented his case on topic. The role of the schools to educate kids, not indoctrinate kids. It's not to impose an agenda. It's to do the basics. And what we've said in Florida is it's inappropriate to tell a kindergartner uh, that their gender is a choice. It's inappropriate to tell a second grader that they may have been born in the wrong body. Now, California has that. Uh, they want to have that injected into the elementary school. My wife and I have a seven, five and a three year old. We don't think that that's appropriate. And I know most parents do not think it's appropriate. Uh, it's also important to respect parental rights to know what curriculum is being used in the classroom, and everything should be age appropriate. I actually have something that I brought that some parents have objected to. So this is a book that's in some of the schools in California, Florida, this is not consistent with our standards, called Gender Queer. I, it's, some of it's blacked out. You would not probably be able to put this on air. This is pornography, it's cartoons, it's aimed at children, uh, and it's wrong. So this should not be in schools. Uh, when people like on the left say that somehow you're banning books by removing this from a young kid's classroom, no, this is not age appropriate. And so we're going to stand for the rights of parents. I think we need to do that nationwide. I don't think you can have a situation where some states just trample on the rights of parents. Parents have a fundamental right to direct the education and upbringing of their kids. And Newsom's defense, this is great. Oh, I love and this. we don't complete lie. We don't require K through third grade sexual education. That doesn't happen till middle school. <laughs> the pornography doesn't start till middle school. <laughs> oh, well, why didn't you say so? Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line. You can also reach us on our text line, 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. The one thing on this topic that uh, DeSantis didn't mention that I wish he would have, he did talk about the California tourism for gender-bending policies for minors. So come to California and get your puberty blockers and, and uh, mutilate your kid, essentially. The thing he didn't mention, which he should have, is the disposition of the state of California when it comes to parents who are not on board for whatever is happening in the school with their children and who then are under threat of having their children taken away from them by the state if they don't support puberty blockers and gender reassignment surgery and so forth. They don't right. call was, by the you don't use the proper pronouns and the fictional name. Newsom was so good at, you know, bobbing and weaving every question that was asked because they started asking him, you know, about the people can come and DeSantis listed off. People can come from different states, you know, Florida, South Dakota, wherever, and come to California to get puberty blockers and to get transition surgery. And Newsom, he didn't answer the question at all. 
and it was, uh, and then they went to commercial. Yeah, it was but so I mean, frustrating. He got out of, he squirmed his way out of everything. He took control of the debate. He said Ron about a thousand times, like no Ron and Sean. And then he even once threw to a commercial break. No, I don't think so. I, I don't think he controlled the debate at all. And I don't think he squirmed out of anything. Uh, when he didn't I mean, a lot of questions. Well, well, I, that's not squirming out of it. That's that's uh, retreating. I mean, it depends on the sophistication of the viewer, I suppose. But for example, when Sean Hannity presents the census data on out migration, and then Gavin Newsom's response is, for the last two years, uh, more Californians, uh, more Floridians have gone to California than Californians to Florida, and that's just factually incorrect. In addition to what we already know, and the world already knows about out migration from states like Illinois and California and New York that lost congressional districts after the 2020 uh, census. I mean, so if you if you buy that, well, then you're just a leftist automaton. You you cannot be reached. But I'm talking you're, you're talking about how people that actually have a few marbles rolling around upstairs receive this discussion. And I thought DeSantis was in his element, generally speaking, because he's very evidence rich in his responses and very uh, direct in his description of what's happening. And I mean, I thought on the exchanges on the merits, he won every single one of them because exactly what you're describing, uh, how you're describing Newsom behaved, uh, along with that, you know, maniacal uh, pension for for smiling and giggling. I was waiting for, you know, the Huey Lewis soliloquy with the chainsaw about halfway through the debate. Well, I mean, I walked away from that and I thought, wow, he is smooth as silk, but full of lies. Yeah, I, I, again, all this, this is like a perception. When you say somebody lies with facility, that we say we call them smooth. I don't think that's smooth. I think it was obviously unsmooth. I think it was anything but smooth because the responses that he provided to try to uh, you know, move around the substance of the matter are not persuasive. So if you're not persuasive, then by definition, you're not smooth. He wants to be Harold Hill. But he isn't. And so all of this talk about, oh, God, what a threat he poses. And this is who we really want because he's a fast talker. And because, you know, I mean, again, com in comparison to Biden or Kamala Harris. Yeah. I mean, he looks yeah. Like a genius. Well, right. But I mean, <laughs> he can get a message across, even though he's but, spewing out lies. But, but he's in comparison, he's got the bright teeth. He's like a born politician. Uh, but in compare, but in comparison to to DeSantis on the merits, he's not. And this whole like born politician, that's not a compliment. That's a pejorative. He's uh, he's oleaginous and he smiles and he lies. He's a born politician. Is that supposed to be a compliment? That's what he is. Uh, on the just on the the whole parental authority thing, because this folds in a lot of what's going on, including what we talked a little bit about earlier which is uh, Bob Iger's interview from, uh, you know, another obnoxious twit named Aaron Ross Sorkin from The New York Times. And he was asked about Walt Disney's content. What, what's going on with Disney's content? Huh? You know, because uh, a lot of it is falling flat. The blockbusters are bombing. Uh, people are boycotting. That probably will increase after the exchange with Musk. Uh, Darn right it will. Uh, yesterday. So here's Iger on Disney's content and, you know, basically this idea that they're pushing an agenda rather than trying to provide uh, entertainment to families that is consistent with 
middle income values in this country? Our primary uh, objective in creating content as a company, say for ABC News, which is obviously to inform, but is to entertain. Whether it's sports, whether it's Disney, whether it's Marvel, make things that entertain people. And the good news is there's a marketplace out there that demands entertainment. It's a fantastic business to be in because of that. I think what had happened over a period of time, it was building and building, and maybe it, I think it, 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 it reached a peak of some sort while I was gone, is that creators lost sight of what their number one objective needed to be. Often when we entertain, and we've, we've entertained as a company over the hundred years we've been in business, we have entertained with values and, 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 with, and having a positive impact on the world in many different ways. I use Black Panther as a great example of that, just in terms of fostering acceptance or the movie Coco, which mm -hmm. Pixar did about the Day of the Dead. Um, I like being able to do that. Entertain, and if you can infuse it with positive messages and have a good impact on the world. Yeah, then do it. Uh-huh. Is that what Disney's been doing? I mean, he's trying to slowly pivot away from what he inherited. But let's just remember what he inherited and where the zeitgeist is within Disney, uh, as frankly exemplified by the uh, litigation and the public fight with DeSantis, which he also addressed in that interview. But remember uh, Carrie Burke, who's the Disney Corp president from March of last year, what she was saying about Disney's uh, attitude towards content creation? I'm here as a mother of, of two queer children, actually, um, uh, one transgender child um, um, and one pansexual child um, <laughs> and and also as a leader. Um, and that was the thing that really got me because I have heard so much from so many of my colleagues over the course of the last couple of weeks um, in open forums and through emails and phone conversations and um, I feel a responsibility to speak, um, not just for myself, but for them, uh, to all of us. We, we had a we had an open forum last week at 20th where, um, again, the home of, of really incredible groundbreaking LGBTQIA stories over the years where um, one of our execs stood up and said, you know, we only have a handful of queer leads in our content. And I went, what? I, that can't be true. And I and I and I realized, oh, it it actually is true. We have many, many, many LGBTQIA characters in our stories, and 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 yet we don't have enough leads um, and narratives in which gay characters just just get to be characters um, and and not have to be about right. So um, she wants half the. The characters and leads to be LGBTQ2S plus 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 plus. Yeah, because of her children. That's the attitude. You know, she has a pansexual yeah. kid. I'd love to explore that. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what's actually going on inside Disney, and thus they're uh, trying to serve two masters. Bob Iger's trying to make sure the business main stays profitable, but he's subject to the Carrie Burks and all of the other cultural Marxists within the company that want him and compel him to boycott t advertising on Twitter and produce content that is not marketable to families, to a lot of middle, middle income, commonsensical families in America and so forth. That's what's actually happening.
uh, Andy in Dallas, Texas. Uh, I, I have to say I was really disappointed in that debate last night. I thought it was, uh, it was pretty boring. I wish DeSantis would be serious and not smile when Newsom is lying. I don't know how you debate a guy who, when you read him statistics, then says no up is down. But, you know, I think DeSantis probably did as well as he could. The thing is, the really unserious party in this are the people of this country. I'm in Chicago for the weekend, being at one of our vaunted city clubs, major civic organization. I'm in the grill room last night watching this on my laptop. No one in this place is watching the debate. TVs are on the Cowboy game and the West Virginia women's basketball game. Mm-hmm. I'm the only guy in this place paying attention to, I know DeSantis isn't going to be the candidate, but Newsom maybe. And no, people were completely clueless. Thanks for the call, Andy. Uh, Monica Lyle. Hi, guys. Um, I was watching the debate on Rumble last night talk about mystery science theater with politics. I was watching Stephen Crowder's show about it. And I would say the only thing that I took away from it is, one, the previous caller said exactly what I was thinking, but two, the debate should have been commercial-free. I think that would have been a better venue. And um, as far as Bob Iger and the leadership at Disney is concerned, well, if you're in a little bubble and all you deal with is LGBTQ people day in and day out, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and your population is 95% straight with 5% gay, let's just use those numbers, people are not going to watch gay characters. Maybe their supporters will, but that's it. Of course things are going to flop because parents don't want their kids going to see those movies. There you go. Thanks for the call, Monica. Well, especially when it's force-fed. I mean, and it's and it, it, it it's a ideological point they're trying to make. And this is so that's why that exchange between DeSantis and Newsom is important because it, it radiates out from it radiates out from there. I mean, this is what's happening in the country. I know people are interested in maybe talking about other things, but I, I don't know if you have if you have uh, school age kids. I don't know what's more important. Moms for Liberty posted pictures of hate mail they received from Jane Addams Middle School in Seattle. A middle school in Seattle yesterday, Moms for Liberty, which, you know, uh, again, common sense goal poses things like force-feeding three-year-olds content like genderqueer and third graders. Um, there was a, a card-writing campaign, hand-drawn cards, Say gay, gay as slay, stopping a rat, stop bullying and excluding LGBT youth. They posted them online. So a a Seattle public school teacher spent classroom time having the middle schoolers write these cards with the approved slogans. Ann Christensen, social studies teacher and coordinator for the Gay-Straight Alliance at the middle school. And there's a Gay-Straight Alliance at middle school? Of course there is, just about every one. This is what they spend their time doing. This isn't indoctrination, though. No, of course not. Not at all. We didn't have that when we were growing up, did we? No. And just on the postscript on Disney, I saw this uh, circling about. I thought it was a nice juxtaposition. Um, Disney, uh, you may know, is named after Walt Disney. That's the eponymous uh, 
founder of the company. This is Walt Disney testifying before the House Un-American Activities Committee here uh, in, in 1947. Testifying about uh, union activity at his studios that was communist influenced, as well as specific individuals he had come to believe inside his company and the union that represented the employees of his company that were communists. Listen to Walt Disney's perspective on America and American values effectively as compared to what you see today from the likes of Bob Iger and the uh, underlings of his at Disney. Well, I uh, didn't pull my punches on how I felt. I, uh, and he evidently heard that I had called them all a bunch of communists, and I believe they are. And at a meeting, he leaned over and he said, that you, uh, you think I'm a communist, don't you? And I told him that all I knew was what I'd heard and what I'd seen. And he laughed and said, well, I used their money to finance this, my strike of 1937. And uh, he said that he got the money to a personal check of some actor, and I don't know who that came. He didn't even name the actor. I didn't go into it any further. I just listened. You, can you name any other individuals that were active at the time? I, I don't believe it's a political party. I believe it's an un-American thing. And uh, the thing that, that I resent the most is that they are able to get into these unions and take them over and represent to the world that a group of people that are in my plant that I know are good 100% Americans uh, have, are trapped by this group and they're represented to the world as supporting all of those ideologies, and it's not so. And I feel that, uh, that they really ought to be smoked out and shown up for what they are so that all the good free causes in this country, all the liberalisms that really are American, can go out without this taint of communism. And that's my sincere feelings on it. I wonder what Walt Disney would think about the leadership of his company these days. Boy, and I wonder what Walt Disney would think about the leadership of the Chicago Teachers Union, for that matter. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, our uh, next guest, had an interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal with an imaginary conversation between Fleece Fest Republican and MAGA Hat Republican, essentially a discussion about Trump versus someone other than Trump. Um, we'll uh, let him uh, present sort of the divided Republican mind, if you will, and uh, perfect timing against the backdrop of the Newsom-DeSantis debate from last night we were discussing. Gerard Baker is editor-at-large for the Wall Street Journal, author of American Breakdown, Why We No Longer Trust Our Leaders and Institutions and How We Can Rebuild Confidence. Gerard Baker, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. And Amy, lovely to be with you. Um, so I, uh, I read uh, from your piece that uh, you were uh, agreeing with both some of the points that uh, Fleece Vest Republican, I think Mitt Romney, uh, was making, as well as MAGA Hat Republican making, and you just sort of left uh, the discussion up for your readers to decide on which side of the divide they fall. 
What about after last night's uh, performance from DeSantis? Does that move you in one direction or the other? No, not really. I mean, look, I think DeSantis clearly had the better of Gavin Newsom. I mean, it's not that difficult. I mean, the issues are really very much on, on DeSantis' side, especially on you know issues like tax. And, and, then, and, and when Newsom uh, says things that are just sort of palpably false, like, you know, more more Floridians moving to California, California moving to Florida, goes to Florida. Then I think, uh, you know, I, I think I think it was clear that 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 uh, DeSantis DeSantis has the better argument. I just think the problem for it, it, within for DeSantis within the Republican Party is that he doesn't make that case as convincingly as Donald Trump does. I mean, I, I you know this is this is yeah, thank you very much for for referring to my column. I mean. This was a sort of, you know, just like as you said, a sort of imaginary conversation between a kind of, a, you know, Trump, a never Trumper, and a Trumper, really, which is the sort of dividing line in the Republican Party. Um, and and as far as the Trump argument goes, you know, is there anybody who is better at making the case that you know we need to take our country back from these progressive elites, by the people like Gavin Newsom, um, you know, than than Donald Trump? I, I don't think there is, and uh, you know, as, to be clear, as I made clear in the in the in the column. There are lots and lots and lots of reasons not to vote for Donald Trump, but all, all to do with his character and all to do with his behaviour, particularly after the last election. But 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 again, if you're if you're if you think that we are in a we face an existential challenge from these people who basically control our you know our, control almost all elements of our society, then you know is anyone better better capable of bringing together voters from across the spectrum to? You know, to vote to get to, to, to against that against the elites than Donald Trump. I don't think there is, and I don't think Donald Sand- I don't think Robert Sanders does it. Well, the other thing about that, too, this uh, sort of fictional discussion, which is a real one. I mean, re- representative of a real one that's happening, a debate, is, you know, for the uh, somebody other than Trump, the establishment types, if you will, you know, are. All over the place. So it's not like you have a settled, they're settling and they're sticking with Ron DeSantis. Now you see migration to Nikki Haley because, I don't know, because DeSantis doesn't seem to be gaining traction. I don't really see this as much of a performance-based migration from DeSantis to Haley, actually. I don't think there's a, there's been a big moment that said, oh, well, now it's obviously Nikki Haley and not Ron DeSantis. Uh, DeSantis has had a couple of missteps. But so has Haley, including recently talking about censorship online by way of forcing uh, forcing people out of any anonymity. That's unpopular. Um, so um, it, it's so so that that lack of a place to land also speaks to the Trump voters position of, look, you guys are just like don't like Trump because of his personality, because of this. You can't present any evidence that he is any worse positioned against Biden than these other candidates. And you can't even settle on somebody. You know, it's DeSantis. It's Nikki Haley. It's uh, uh, talking about maybe Glenn Youngkin trying to get him in the race. So you're, you're not doing anything out of principle. And so you're not doing anything that represents my interests. You're just doing something that represents sort of the interests of always inside the beltway. And people are rightly suspicious of that. No, I think that's exactly right, Dan. I mean, I look, and I think look, Haley, Haley, has, Haley has clearly moved up in polls on the back of some very strong debate performances. I think she, she has done well, and she comes, you know, she's got a very um, direct uh, manner, which has performed well. And she's taken on DeSantis to some extent. She's taken on Vivek Ramaswamy, and you know, she's, she, you know, she's impressed. But, but I think you're right. I mean, I think the problem with 
with Haley, and, and I think that's, that's why she's moved up, particularly against DeSantis. And DeSantis is always is, is just is just disappointed. I don't just mean in the debates, but just you know, DeSantis can't. DeSantis's problem is he's just he's just trying to be sort of like a, a kind of a, um, a a sort of a more acceptable version of Donald Trump, right? I mean, and well, you know, for, 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 for Trump supporters, that's like, well, I don't need a more acceptable version of Donald Trump. I I, I like Donald Trump. And for those who don't really want Donald Trump, then they're thinking, well, I don't really want an acceptable version of Donald Trump because I don't like Donald Trump. So, so I think Donald Trump. So I think Sanders has sort of has, has declined for those reasons. Look, at the problem with Haley is, what is it? What you know? It, it and, and and this worries me about her. As impressive as she's been, what does she really stand for? I mean, I, I think she, she's the, the position she's carved out for herself over the last few months is like a return to the Republican Party pre Donald Trump, right? The, the, the sort of you know the Mitt Romney. John McCain, if you like, uh, even George W. Bush, Republican Party, which which the which the Republican voters have rejected, and I, so, I, so again, I, I again, while I am not, as you well know, Dan, we've had this conversation many times. I'm not a Donald Trump fan. If you want to really shake up the system, if you really are tired with the way the country has been run, if you're tired with both parties, with the establishment, the failure of Republicans in particular to really take on uh, these progressive elites. Why would you vote for, for 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 Nikki Haley, who looks like she's sort of campaigning to be, you know, taking the party back to where it was before, taking Republicans back to where it was before? So I think, yeah, I, I, this is why I'm not surprised that Donald Trump remains, you know, has continues to have a 50 point lead in the opinion polls in the Republican primaries. Well, Mr. Baker, don't you think one problem with DeSantis is that he just doesn't look comfortable up there? He's not embracing the position I think that he's in, and he just looks nervous, and then he makes these weird. Um, Facial expressions and twitches. I mean, do you yeah. think that could be a part of it too? Yeah, yeah. He just he does come across. You're absolutely right, Amy. As sort of awkward, right? I mean, it, it, and this has been true throughout the debates. I will never forget that first debate. I think it was where you know he kind kind of did that weird smile where he was sort of caught, like someone told him, you know, this is how you smile rather than just like a natural <laughs> smile. Um, and I think there were a couple of moments like that last night. Yeah, he doesn't look. He's not a. Again, Trump's great strengths are that there's a there's a strange quality to Donald Trump, which is that although he says a lot of stuff that's nonsense, although he says a lot of stuff that isn't true, although he, you know, frankly, let's be honest, he lies through his teeth half the time. He there is an honesty about him, which is that it's this is the man, this is the guy. You you know you you get what you see, you see what you get with Donald Trump. He is. You know, he doesn't. There's, there's no artifice. There's no, um, you know, attempt to sort of tell people what they want to hear. He's straight. He does tell people what he thinks, how he feels, and a lot of people identify with that. The sense is just always this sense. You know, this is a man. Well, you know, degrees from Harvard and Yale. Uh, you know, a, a period in Congress. This is a man who looks like he's got sort of a, 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 a kind of a schooled quality to him. It's like everything he's been told about politics, he has to. He has to have learned, and I don't think that comes across as authentic. I was amused to see that Merriam-Webster say that the, you know the word of the year this year is authentic. DeSantis just doesn't come across as a very authentic character, whereas in his, in, in his strange way, Donald Trump does. Yeah, and uh, and the other thing, I mean, associated with that is again lived experience. People actually saw him perform for four years: a good, bad, and the ugly is that, uh, you know, he did act in furtherance of what he said he would do, whether he was always successful or not. He attempted or accomplished what he said he was going to attempt. Right, he did. He, I mean, yeah, exactly. And I think, 
Look, and again, I, I do think, uh, despite his sort of slightly weird kind of verbal ticks and visual ticks, I, I do think DeSantis did get the better of uh, Newsom last night. Again, because I think the arguments are just so powerfully in his favour. But again, yeah, it's not. It, it, it doesn't. It doesn't come across as, as enormously authentic. Whereas I think that is that is what Trump. That is what Trump does. Trump. Trump just uh, people identify with Trump because he says things you know, from, from you know instinctively. You know, from the heart that people actually agree with, and I think that's you know it's on the Republican side, and particularly they are tired of these politicians who have promised things and said they're going to do things and have tried to articulate positions uh, that you know in the end have come to nothing. And Trump, as you say, Trump sort of you know gets things done, and I think that's why I find it very hard to believe he won't get the Republican nomination. Gerard Baker is editor-at-large Wall Street Journal. He's the author of the book, American Breakdown, Why We No Longer Trust Our Leaders and Institutions and How We Can Rebuild Confidence, American Breakdown, from Gerard Baker. Gerard, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Thank you both. Very nice to see you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Open my Yes, it's that time of the week, Open Mic Friday, taking your calls with comments, compliments, criticisms, concerns, and general crack pottery. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line, sponsored by turnkey.pro. That's turnkey.pro and turnkey.pro founder David Kolsak kicks off another installment of Open Mic Friday. David? Well, good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, it's great to be with you once again. Happy belated Thanksgiving. Can't believe it's already been a week. Uh, time flies, I guess. Um, anyway, I want to begin with a question, right? How long have we been under control of the CIA and other three-letter agencies? Just a few years? Is it a few decades? Or is it like a half a century? Eisenhower in 1960, uh, during his re retirement speech, it was fascinating to me. He coined the phrase military industrial complex. It was a really heady speech. And, a, you know, I'm not sure if the American people at the time actually understood him. But in that speech, Eisenhower was very concerned about the Pentagon and the power of the military industrial complex. Their budgets were, you know, really huge, you know, thanks to the Second World War. And that was the thing that would end democracy is what he said. Is that what we're seeing now 63 years later? Kennedy then said he was going to splinter the CIA into a thousand pieces and scatter it into the winds. And then he was assassinated, maybe coincidental, but certainly worth questioning. And then you've got fast forward to Nixon's presidency, and he publicly questioned the CIA's role in the assassination of JFK. And instead of responding to him, the CIA didn't brief him, but they could have set and, and could they have set in motion the Watergate scenario, which put Nixon out of office within a year. I mean, is that a democracy? It seems to me that at least in those three instances, the government was being run by people who weren't elected, but rather spies who uh, knew better than we do. And going back to Voltaire's quote, if you want to know who controls you, look who you're not allowed to criticize. So I think it's dangerous to say out loud, much less even think about how much control the CIA has of, over us as a people. Um, but that's why people don't say it, however true it may be. Are they actively in control of our media, our social media? You know, what about all the censorship that went on? direct influence of the government over what was now um, used to be Twitter, it's now X. Of course, we're learning that most of what they suppressed is actually true, 
and yet they shaped the minds of the people in so many ways. So like Hunter's laptop, vaccine injuries, vaccine deaths, ivermectin efficacy, COVID mortality rates, all these things were hyperbolically blown out of proportion or just completely lies. How many of those things were shaped by our government, you know, and the outright of censorship that was uncovered by Elon Musk at Twitter? Essentially, the government took over the media apparatus and told the American people exactly what they wanted it to hear. And did that work or did it just awaken people like me? Um, a person had to look really far and wide back then to find a sliver of truth. And yet so many of us found it in spite of the government's efforts to suppress it. You know, why is that? Could they have overplayed their hand? Did you see Elon Musk answer the question about big companies like Apple pulling their ads from X? Uh, yes. Said, you know, we somebody talked quite a bit about that. Right? Yes. Mm -hmm. He said, go after yourself. Right. So it's kind of refreshing to hear. But then he called up Bob Iger personally, which I thought was also interesting. And then all this stuff makes me ask another question. Why would they raid Mar-a-Lago? At first, there was, you know, it was fine that Trump had all the documents that he had, but then it wasn't. So they raided him. But why? You know, could it be that Trump maybe had some documents that tied the government to January 6th, could he have something on 9-11, the moon landing, JFK's assassination? I mean, I've been hearing rumblings all along, but the point is, is that information isn't being kept from us, right? I know. I, I, I know where you stand, Dan. Uh, think about those people who were in the wrong place at the wrong time, though, on January 6th. Is there information in there that would exonerate them? You know, how much of that footage is now dripping out? It looks like the police, along with you know, some of the inserted agitators from the deep state, you know, whipped the crowd into a frenzy, and then they let him into the Capitol building. What happened to the right for a speedy trial? I've heard that Washington, D.C., the Vatican, and the city of London are all foreign lands embedded in their respective countries. Is it, if that's the case, could it be that there are different judicial, judicial rules that allow them to incarcerate J6ers indefinitely? Anyway, could it be that they're using January 6th to keep mm. people from rising up? Could that be an example of what happens when people stand up? You know, wasn't this the first unarmed insurrection in the history of the country? You know, these are all things to think about as an era of changes every day. I just wonder if people can ever believe anything they say anymore. I think back to my childhood, and this I'll end with this. You know, there was a really popular song by The Who called We Won't Get Fooled Again. It was released in 71, and the lyrics go like this. I'll tip my hat to a new constitution, take a bow for the new revolution, smile and grin at the change all around, pick up my guitar and play just like yesterday. Then I'll get on my knees and pray we won't get fooled again. So let's just pray we stop being fooled because, you know, Mark Twain said it best. It's easier to fool people than to convince people that they've been fooled. Have a great weekend. Thanks for the call, David. Right. Kicking it off. A uh, lot to pour over there. Um, but the whole um, just one one piece of it uh, towards the end, this idea like, um, will we believe anything? Well, that's not an option. To believe nothing. As Chesterton famously observed, when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. People are going to believe some things. Believing nothing, just cursing the darkness, is not what people do. That's just not how human beings are wired. They're going to ascribe belief to some people and some things. So the question is, who and what? That's the question. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Six four six three six. Well, you can type in DA. DA, if you can't get in, but uh, also remember too, once somebody hangs up, we'll have another open line open. So keep calling. All right, let's get to some calls. Tom in Blue Island. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. It Dan, the, t the two previous stories. First, the uh, Disney story, and before that, the 
Ireland story. I mean, growing up in Mount Greenwood, I have a multitude of friends that are of Irish descent, and I wonder how much they're aware of what's going on there. And the bigger question is, there seems to be no political reason to allow a bunch of people from other countries that have no interest in assimilation into your country. It seems to me that would be a death knell to a politician, but it seems all they do is double and triple down on it. And it's the same thing that's happening here. These people that are being brought here from South America have no interest in assimilation or maybe a small percentage of them do. And Americans are just being told if you question it, you're racist. And it seems the only common denominator can be globalism, some kind of not so covert effort to destroy, you know, and you destroy the American family. But more when you're talking about countries like Ireland or Sweden, uh, destroy the the homogen, homogeneity of their countries. At least in the United States, as Mr. Baker said, were referred to as a melting pot. What can be the excuse in a country like Ireland or Italy? or Hungary, letting their populations be overrun by people that aren't from there and have no interest in living with them. Uh, thanks for the call, Tom. I mean, the identitarianism knows no borders. I mean, you heard the compilation we played a couple of days ago of all these Irish politicians and their legislature spending all their time uh, talking to one another about how terrible it is uh, to... Uh, live under the uh, the specter of white privilege in Ireland. That's what that's the real enemy, white privilege and honkies and diversity is our strength and we need more diversity for its own sake and so on and so forth. You heard the same thing from their PM uh, after the uh, mass stabbing attack and the rioting that occurred last weekend. They were more upset at social media posts than they were at the actual suspect who's, who's been in their country for 23 years and has never gotten a job, has sucked off their government for that long, and that's killed the, three people. That's the allegation, and there's no answer from the government for it other than some sort of generic process answers about how the social welfare programs work. But in terms of the fundamental question, is that appropriate, that somebody should come to this country? Um, I don't know if he came legally or illegally. Supposedly he's uh, Algerian descent. I suspect it was illegally, but let's say it was legally. Come here legally, um, but obviously it takes a while to become a citizen and avail themselves of the social welfare benefits for the entirety of his time there without ever having a job. Is that a, is that a proper outcome? Is that a desired outcome? And you don't get an answer. You get the process answer. Here's how the program works. Yeah, this is these are governments that are at odds with the interests of their citizens, at least the portion of their citizenry that play by the old rules of a free society, because a free society is not their interest. They've made it pretty clear. I mean, the censorship industrial complex that we've been talking about off and on, there's no clearer indication than that. Election rigging through censorship. There's no clearer indication mm -hmm. than that. It, it, this is something okay, we have we to recognize, happen. something we have to recognize domestically, which sometimes we fail to even recognize internationally. Not everybody is coming from the same perspective as we are. Putin doesn't have our perspective. Uh, 
Islamic terrorist organizations don't have our perspective. We don't all want the same things. Well, that also applies domestically, as we're saying. We don't all want the same things. We don't all want to live in a free society. The left is making that very clear. Bill, Cape Coral, Florida. Yeah, I just want to sing a little uh, Christmas carol to this. Oh, wonderful. Chicago-style. Dashing down State Street with a Gucci bag in hand, running real fast, because behind me comes a man. He was faster than I thought, and soon I did get caught. But an hour later, I was back on State looking for another bag. Jack a car, steal a purse. It's the Chicago way. You don't have to worry, because you won't have to pay. Merry Christmas, everyone. Very good, Bill. I like that. It's pretty good. We're going to have to cut that and so we can use that, maybe set it to music. Uh, all right, so make, make sure to vault that from Bill in Cape Coral. We've got a month to enjoy that offering. And we'll take more poems and uh, Weird Al Yankovic-type parody songs. Yeah, whatever we you like want. That. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Once somebody drops the line, another one will open up. Uh, let's take another call on the Irish. Kevin, Ogden Dunes, Indiana. Uh, this is not Kevin. This is the Prime Minister of Ireland, and I wish to chime in on that uppity high school basketball player who was banned from his team after scoring 35 pints in a game and being all conference both sophomore and his junior year. Well, I've been speaking and comparing notes with your voluptuous Governor Lizzo of your fine state of Illinois. And uh, I'm going to say that the good Irish people in my government believe this buy should not be allowed to play any hoops. And I'll tell you why. Those suburban round ball patriarchies have enjoyed far too much white supremacy in the Chicago basketball community. And I refer you both to your hoop dreams and your Hoosiers. Now that senior, he's a member of the white patriarchy of Chicago basketball. And ergo, he should resign straight away. Maybe he can try the spark of the volleyball with that Amy, the charming lass. Uh, thank you so much for the call, uh, Prime Minister. Uh, of Ireland. Wow. That was, uh, was pretty good. Not a bad Irish brogue and a good use of uh, ergo. So, uh, uh, all right. We got It's a little spicy this morning. It's a I little... loved how he said 35 pints instead of 35 points. Yeah, it was very good. I like the uh, yeah no this is this is good I'm I'm liking uh, an early healthy dose of crack pottery mm-hmm. I do like that uh, rich in Indian Head Park for some sobriety good morning good morning gang good morning Amy what I wanted to say is Newsom is what uh, Democrats are all about they brag about uh, what the Democrats are doing for the country especially what Biden has done and they lie about their opponents and twist. Uh, twist around everything that they actually say and they uh and they don't really uh care about any kind of change or they uh they just uh have uh no answer to any questions that they don't want to answer to and uh that's basically what they're made up of they're, they all have the same uh, the same narratives and it goes on and on you guys have a nice weekend thanks for the call rich uh peter in displays 
Yeah, thank you. So if I recall, McCormick Place was used for COVID. Thirty million, it cost a thirty million, not used. Why weren't the migrants using uh, McCormick Place? You wouldn't have to build these tents. I've asked that question several times to Governor Mayor Johnson. They will not do it because other conventions, there was UAA volleyball tournament. They're they're just not going to do that because the space is being used because people are paying to use it. Not the old McCormick Place. Not the old one, but I don't know why they won't move in that one. They they, I don't even know if that one's open. Well, they probably don't want honoring the Soldier Field. Uh, thanks for the call, Peter. Well, you also want to distribute uh, the opportunity to be welcoming to all the moors and many of the neighborhoods. So you don't want uh, downtown to hoard all the the uh, migrants, the new arrivals, and but, um, the opportunity to celebrate said arrival. The Johnsonville tent went up yesterday at 38th and uh, in uh, Brighton 38th Park. 38th and Cal in Brighton yeah. Park. Yeah, of course. That's going to be those huge. 500 That's tents. 11-acre property. 500 residents, uh, those tents. We're not doing it. We're not doing it. It's done. <laughs> yeah, we well, we have to wait for the environmental study to be out. No, it's already done. It's already going up. Yeah, there well, might be zinc in there from a trail car, yeah, trailway right. car from yeah. years past. Break. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Mm, whatever. Um, David Winnetka. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, so about a year ago, I just... I just it hit me so hard that I felt Michael Obama would have sometime announced his candidacy. And since then, I've been yelling at the top of you know my lungs, and everybody thinks I'm absolutely insane. It will never happen. Uh, now that we're here, and it just things get crazier and crazier and crazier every day. I was just wondering how how you guys felt on that stance. If you never going to happen, I've said it from the beginning. I've said it from the end of uh, Joe Obama's terms one and two. It's never going to happen. She didn't want it in 2016. She doesn't want it in 2020. She didn't. She doesn't want it in 2024. She doesn't want it ever. It's never going to happen. It's the fodder for people who don't understand that couple and the political dynamics. Thanks for the call, David. I know it's fun on social media and stuff. It's fun to talk about all these conspiracy. I mean, the whole thing with Biden. It's like people, he's going to win the Iowa caucus. He's going to win the New Hampshire primary. He's going to win South Carolina. And people are going to be like, oh, when does he drop out? Oh, at the convention. (laughs) Surprise at the convention, yeah. I mean, again, barring God's intercession, it is Trump and Biden. I've been saying it, and I don't care what Tucker Carlson says, and I don't care what anybody else says. I've been saying it for months now. You... It is a, just a complete misunderstanding of the environment in D.C. and what's at stake for the competing interests. Trump and Biden, that's what it's going to be. Craig in Old Town. Hey, Dan. Hey, Amy. <clears throat> you know, I'll start, you know, after your, what you last just said, you know, I'll start and just say I voted for Donald Trump twice. And I'll add that if he's the nominee, I'll likely vote for him again. Um, and I certainly understand the urge or the, the feeling of loyalty, especially as he's quite clearly getting railroaded across the country in attorney general's offices. You know, that said, you know, he, too, is of a generation that, you know, I'll be kind and say, due to their nature, not only utterly refused to cede any power in the public and private sectors, 
but have a distinct proclivity to linger over the ideological battles in the 60s. Quite frankly, I'm tired of endlessly relitigating what happened in front of 720 South Michigan Avenue in the summer of 68. Hmm. And this is going to sound a little harsh, but it's time for a certain generation to, you know, if they can spare a thought for any generation to come after them rather than themselves, recognize the importance and the opportunity my generation does have in 2024. And without going through the litany of examples where he's demonstrated his ability to not only handle the daily doldrums of governance, but to lead from the front on our most controversial societal battles. And Ron DeSantis, you do have an opportunity not seen on the Republican side in over 100 years. A young Republican president who, while no man is perfect and there are countless unknowns ahead, has the potential to be a standard bearer and a champion of a cause for the next generations, being those staring down another 30 to 40 to 50 to God knows how many years we'll have to fight this nonsense that they've allowed to seep into every corner of our culture. And the resistance to passing the torch not only stifles the political ascent of younger leaders, but it also alienates those young voters who often merely seek representation that mirrors their generational priorities and experiences. And that includes losing precious moments and unquantifiable amount of memories to the biggest crack of BS ever forced on modern man in COVID. And here's a guy who has the stones and the record to say, I'll never let that happen to you again. Listen, the Republican Party is a chance to further the redefinition of itself, and it is pivotal. They recognize their old paradigms are increasingly inadequate to address the complexities we're facing in the future. They need to recognize the singles, signals of this crucial generational transition in 2024. Thanks for the call, Craig. A very good, very good uh, case that he makes, uh, very similar to the uh the uh, fleece vest case that Gerard Baker made in his Wall Street Journal column we were just discussing. I mean, I, look, I agree with that uh, description of DeSantis. I've been nothing but a fan since he was elected. But um, the moment is about sending a message to this political ruling class that has attempted to illicitly, did and attempted to illicitly game the system since Donald Trump's ascendancy as a candidate in 2015 into the 2016 election. And then all that has been uncovered since by uh, proponents of Trump and opponents of Trump, like Schellenberger and Taibbi. And I just, uh, the reality is that I think people have a hard time letting that stand and saying the beneficiary of all of that wrongdoing should be someone other than Trump. And I understand that. And I thought yesterday might have changed my position on him, but it did not at all. Still love him as governor. Love what he did. I know that Gavin Newsom was spoon-feeding lies to the public. I understand that, but it just, there was no there there for me. Well, there's a, I mean, there's a there there with DeSantis. I mean, this is not an empty suit. Newsom is no. an empty suit. I mean, what, what I don't know what your expectations were, some sort of star power or personality ectomy was going to happen. I mean, that's that's who DeSantis is. I mean, there are some things that we've talked about. There are minor critiques in terms of style and facial expressions and so forth, uh, you know, the, the perception of his comfort level. But, I mean, on the substance, on policy, I mean, he is the best in the race, in my view. But that wild card that I just described that Trump has, Trump's all that. That's the reality. Um, great question from James in Naples for Amy. James. Hello, Amy 
just want to know why you're excluding both of us lesbians who listen to the show from your from your uh, reads on the pajamagrams. Do you think we sleep in burlap or something? But you are you are a lesbian, James. Is that right? I'm a, I identify as a lesbian. I understand. Oh, every right. day or just on Fridays? Uh, mostly on the weekends. Yes. Okay. All right. All Don't right. dodge the question, Gavin Jacobson. Let's go. What's the answer? <laughs> Do we have to throw to a break, Ron Thanks. and Sean? No, I I you know I just got the pajamagram right now. I read it for the first time on the air here. So we'll see. Maybe she can get it for she next time. Maybe not. Uh, Ralph Rantoul. Hey, good morning. Um, yeah, as far as Newsom goes, I, I have this fantasy about DeSantis just running across the stage and elbowing out his cap teeth, but that's never <laughs> going to happen. Um, but regarding Biden and Trump, Biden's too corrupt and too owned by both the Chinese and Obama, who's got that big hole in Biden's suit that he inserts his hand and operates Biden um, he's too corrupt. It, it, he'll, he can't go away because he, he's thinking about all the m- money he can make in the, a second term if he's able to steal that one, too. Uh, and, of course, if he gets out of office, there's a chance, as small as it might be, that his corruption is uh, exposed and they pay the price for it. Uh, what I find interesting over the years is that all these nutter conspiracies that people talk about, ah, you're a nutter, you know, um, man-made virus, uh, COVID came from bat soup. Not, it's not the Wuhan Fauci weapon. Um, all that stuff ends up, isn't that funny, being true. So all I have to say to all you stupid Chicago voters who keep putting morons in charge that lie to you and put illegal immigrant encampments up is eat the bugs and Soylent Green is people. Thanks for the call, Ralph. Yeah, I mean, just a point of order on the conspiracies. I mean, what Ralph said is fair, but because some things that were treated as conspiracy theories that were never really presented as conspiracy theories, there was a lot of uh, reason and evidence to raise these questions. But because some things that were dismissed as conspiracy theories turned out to be true, doesn't make all conspiracy theories true. Let's just understand that point of order. Okay. Amy in Winthrop Harbor. Hello, Dan and Amy. Good morning. Morning. How are you? Good. Great. How are you? Good, good. I just wanted to say a couple of quick things. Highland Park is not Highland Park strong. Okay. They need a uh, new mayor. Um, they, they, yes. Uh, uh, Nancy Deering is uh, not. Is that who you're talking about? She needs to be replaced. That's, That's who I'm point. talking about. Yes, she does. Nancy, r- 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 no, what's her name? No, uh, Nancy, uh, Rotary. Rotary, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. I believe so. Uh, Towards the beginning of of winter here, I mean, uh, after uh, summer, there was on the viaduct there, uh, Skokie Valley Road and 41. There were uh, illegal aliens on the viaduct there setting up camp. They're gone now. Okay. Okay, just to let you know. And they, you know, they make up these signs, Highland Park Strong. Maybe they're living with Nancy Rotering. Probably. 
Maybe mm-hmm. she took them that's, in. That's, yeah. that's cute, Dan. And, oh, okay, one more thing from yesterday. Alan Dershowitz. Yes. Why does he like Biden? I don't know. We I don't tried think to walk he, him through it. But I don't know that he – thanks for the call, Amy. I don't, he didn't really say he likes Biden. He just – I mean, I think – I, I know, but you can vote for people that you don't like. The I think it was more a, a good example of – you know, the inertia of identifying with the party for as long as he has. I mean, Dershowitz has been a liberal and a Democrat for 60 years plus. So and, you know, he, he sort of gave the well, I'm for a women's right to choose and I'm for this and I'm for that. I mean, there's sort of things that were almost, I mean, as smart as he is, an attempt to rationalize uh, a case that he can't really make out on the merits. He sort of um, arguing in the alternative, as any good lawyer can do. But I don't think I don't know even know if he finds his case in terms of supporting Biden um, compelling. But I think he's not ready to publicly announce that he would vote for Trump in that dynamic, you know, if the dynamic was, as I suggest, it will be Trump versus Biden. And I think, frankly, there's some utility for D- Dershowitz in the way that he markets his viewpoints on, for example, the Trump indictments, and some of what happened uh, in response to January 6th, that this is the censorship stuff, that this is, uh, you know, I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm voting for Biden. I'm not a Trump supporter. I voted for Hillary Clinton. But this is what is right and proper under the Constitution. I think that positioning of Dershowitz gives him some credibility that he might not otherwise have if he had decided that he was going to flip and be a a Republican or a Trump supporter. Well, he said Nikki Haley's name two times. He seemed to, you know, like her, and he, you know, that Israel would be safe if she was in charge. Yeah, well, that's that's again, know. that's a lot of positioning from Dershowitz too, because N- Nikki Haley doesn't draw the venom that Donald Trump does. So, like, I want to, I'm independent, I'm open-minded, I'm not lockstep with the Democrats. Uh, so, look, Nikki Haley. But if he said, look, Donald Trump, the re- reaction would be a lot different. You know, Dershowitz is very shrewd, politically, too. Keep that in mind. Rick in Downers Grove. Hey, good morning. Hey, dude, it's the holiday season. I came up with a little uh, Christmas parody song. You know, oh, Elvis Presley did one. Here comes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You guys be in for it. You'll be singing this around the spinach from uh, Christmas party time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not dirty. It might be disturbed, but it's not dirty. Uh, you guys want to hear it? It's got two verses. Oh, boy. It's called we time. Yeah, well, well, Elvis Presley did a song called "Here Comes Santa Claus." Mine is got a little twist on. It's called "I'm Killing Santa Claus." Oh, that, that is nice. That's very holiday friendly. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> All right, here it goes. I'm killing Santa Claus. I'm killing Santa Claus. Killing him tonight. Plunging a knife right in his neck and twisting to the right. They'll be yelling. They'll be screaming. Blood. It's a horrible sight. I'm still killing that SOB, going to kill Santa Claus tonight. I'm killing Santa Claus, I'm killing Santa Claus, busting open his head. One good shot from a baseball bat will make him very dead. Broken nose, a shattered jaw, swinging with all of my might. He might come just once a year, but Santa goes down tonight. And then you go a little like uh, musical, uh, Rick, um, you go into an instrumental. Rick. Rick, what, what what happened to you as a child? What uh, what, what Santa not give you what you wanted, Rick? Yeah, there's something. There's something. Are you on any lists in Downers Grove, or should you be? 
for by chance? No. <laughs> I just right. too much time on my hands here at work. All right, all right, Rick. Go go think happy thoughts. Okay. Right. Okay. Have a good one. Thanks for the call. Hmm. I don't know. Should we be concerned? Mm, a little bit. I think um, we know why Rick from Downers Grove is single. Yeah. Mary Kay, Western Springs. Hello. Um, I'm working on a haiku. I hope I get to read that. On oh, here. boy. One of these right. days. I'm not that great of a poet. I'm not like uh, your poet laureate. But boy, was that, that one that he did the other day outstanding. And I'm glad you posted that. And I was it, able to find it. And your haiku, um, it, your haiku does fit the five seven five. Yeah, but I'm okay. still working on it. Not as good oh, as, you're still working on it. Ready oh, for the air? She's, she's yeah. Really, don't rush the talent. <laughs> oh, I'm okay. sorry. Yes, no. take your time. I'm not Jeez. that talented. I went to River Forest School. So I, don't I respect the creative process, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. Um, I'm calling because um, back in the old days, you know, when you started a job, you were able to on your W-2, choose whether or not to give the government more money and look forward to a bigger refund or keep your money as you go along working. And um, some people kind of use that, you know, as a savings account, you know, take a vacation when you get your refund back in April. Um, I'm not in favor of giving the government any money, but when when you don't escrow your taxes, you're in charge of your money. And then when you can't control what goes on with the economy, there's millions of people who will run out of money, you know, have things happen. And as much as, again, you you were mentioning how I would never, you would never escrow, Dan. Um, we escrow now because there's just too much um, unknowns. And with other um, expenses and stuff, it's just, uh, it just is a sure thing that you're going to have the money around to pay these ridiculous taxes. And God knows what they're going to be. You know, my assessed value went up $260,000. And what does that translate to in your property tax hike? I think, uh, you know, I don't have the bill in front of me because it makes me want to vomit, so I can't tell you. I think it's 14 went to about 18. Mm-hmm. That's significant. That's, you know. Right. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. All right. My, yeah. I, I, um, I don't know if I'm going to have a good week. I'm going to have to hide that thing because I can't. It's on the kitchen table. i got to go hide it somewhere. There you go. Thanks for the call, right. uh, Mary Kay. Yes. Um, right. If you ignore it, it goes away. No, I'm not saying that she's doing that. But we talked so much about property taxes earlier in the show because of this uh, ABC7 report on what happened in unincorporated Rich Township, Tinley Park portion of unincorporated Rich and the uh, uh, property tax assessment increases that are driving people out of their homes, just the latest iteration of that story uh let's finish up with chuck and delavan amy thanks for mentioning my garage band poop map oh uh, holy smokes where do i start shout out to phil and reggie and leon Diane who came to the bottle shop last week 5 30 to 7 30 we'll be there again tonight me and mr and mrs Koss. and then big big day tomorrow in, in lake geneva the como clubhouse tomorrow morning pancake breakfast with santa and i got a brand new mrs Koss coming because my girlfriend's got to work and then tomorrow night, go see the Lake Geneva Christmas Parade with the fake beard Santa because they don't want to hire me. So everybody enjoy the weekend and get out there and do something. Thanks for the call. That's Tis right. the season for Chuck, uh, who is a Santa. Uh, perennial oh, Santa. Yes. By the way, Senator Rand Paul saved Senator Joni Ernst. She was choking on some ribeye at a Senate luncheon yesterday, and he leaned over and gave her the Heimlich maneuver. Uh, is there a doctor in the house? Yes, there is. 
Yes, there is. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.